The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Our first three-man pod of these off-season outlooks, because preview is way too boring of a word ever to use it, I call it Outlook instead. And because, of course, we're uh, completely omniscient of what's going to happen with these teams. Well, at least on this pod, we are. So I want to welcome in Fred Katz of The Athletic and uh, the new Wizards beat writer, at least for our purposes, and Mike Prada of SB Nation, longtime Wizards preview. Ah, ah. Outlook hey, you did podcast. it. You did it. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> Outlook podcast guest. Uh, yeah. So, Fred, I think you can provide the nice reasoned uh, approach here, uh, and Mike can provide the completely depressing uh wizards fandom outlook here uh but uh, unfortunately with this team that may kind of be one in the same yep uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah, that's that, that's that's, that's Mike, by the way since since i did a, a a terrible job of ensuring it as i always do it's really becoming a tradition unlike any other except the masters <laughs> do you um, know what else is a tradition unlike any other yeah the annual late september injury wizards injury surprise <laughs> Which came out with Isaiah Thomas this time out six to eight weeks with a thumb injury. Uh, What has it been in past years? Uh, John Wall was one year. Uh, do you remember the Emeka Okafor neck issue of a few years ago? Oh yeah, oh oh, is that yeah? Because they did the uh, the Gortat trade thirteen fourteen. Yeah, I do. Remember yep, that. that was due to that. There was a Martell Webster one, I believe, one year. Um, if I recall, technically Dwight Howard was one last year, although uh, that obviously ended in a certain way. And I am sure I am leaving some off. I mean, Brad, I feel like Bradley Beal got hurt in September one year and missed some time. Um, yeah, it's a it's a long tradition, and I, I actually John Wall. It's happened twice. It happened 2012-13, and it happened a couple years ago. So, yeah, this is a long tradition uh, in Wizards land. I guess we kind of already had it because C.J. Miles also got injured. So this is a double special this year. Yeah, Washington insiders believe that it's the October surprise, but true Washington insiders know (laughs) that it's the September surprise. (laughs) Beautiful. All right, so so Fred, I want to bring you in here, especially since you're around the team uh, on a daily basis. I think the place I want to start with this group is where the hell these guys are going right now. And I want to get you guys' impression of the new regime overall in a second. But I think just what is the direction of this franchise now? John Wall, of course, uh, uh, Ted Leonsis saying he's likely to miss the whole season with what his first heel surgery and then exacerbated by an Achilles tear. Uh, I think it was in the shower, right? Is, is that what the... Uh, that is what they said. Well, so do you not believe that? I mean, you know, I'm... I. 
Sure, I have no reason not to believe that. I'm just saying that's what they said. I wasn't with him in the shower. I didn't see it happen. <laughs> when a guy when a guy gets injured in a game, we can say it it happened in a game. But when a guy gets injured in the shower, I gotta say, they said it happened in the shower because that's how journalism works. You attribute. Well, yeah, but so I, I by that it. logic, yeah. though, then nobody can say for sure whether it happened in the shower because presumably nobody was with him in the shower. Correct. Correct. Uh, Only well, John can say if it happened in the shower. So really, we should all be saying according to the team, no matter who we are, no matter how close to John we are. Accurate. We should all be saying that, but unfortunately, uh, not not everybody has the uh, the attributive fiber of a of a true of a true beat writer. Mm. Uh, but I thought that was the people who are like, oh, he probably heard it like in a club or something. Like, they, they people have no understanding of like what it's like to actually recover from a major surgery like that when you can't walk. Like, you're it's very plausible that you could like fall in the shower, and you know, considering how vulnerable his that area was after having that surgery i mean i i've seen no reason to disbelieve him other than these people who feel like john wall has like some sort of partying image that this fit into so uh anyway I, yes i didn't mean yeah. to suggest any sort of conspiracy by saying that uh, to be clear yes of course uh the, the washington wizards no conspiracy <laughs> uh, uh so but where i wanted to get to is he's not going to play this year uh this team i think we can all agree is uh not a playoff contender it's difficult to see how they will be a playoff contender in the near future unless wall makes a miraculous recovery next year uh which at his age and with the injury history is somewhat doubtful they're very capped out due to that wall extension um where the hell are these guys going and are they going to trade bradley beal what do you think brad uh, because they've been very adamant about not doing it so far yeah i mean as of now i have no indication that they want to trade him at all and i think it's completely possible that come february or even come next summer that that changes but every sense that i've gotten is that that change hasn't even come close to starting yet you know they're not they're not even close to there as of now they're adamant they aren't trading Bradley Beal. So so it's possible that it changes. I just I don't think that they're getting there. I think what they're trying to get from this year is like just just a hope that they hit on some of the young guys. I think they're in a similar spot right now to what like the Nets were in in 2015, 2016 when it was Sean Marks came in what 20 February 2015, something like that. Uh, 20, so, it was in, in 2016. Yeah. No, 2015, they made the playoffs. Right. 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 No, I know. I know. They lost to the Hawks in the first round. But wasn't that yeah. – didn't didn't Lionel Hollins get, get fired in the middle of that season? It was like Tony Brown coaching in the interim? Or was that 16? No, that, that, was no ha- that was 16. That was 16. Yeah, right. Yeah, because they stretched Darren Williams that right. summer of 2015. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is yes. not a Nets podcast. We, no. We'll, uh, no, it's not. A different and even, that, and even if it were, I don't think we need to talk about the Tony Brown Nets era, even on the Nets. <laughs> even yeah. on the Nets outlook. Uh, now, in fairness, yeah. the Nets are the closest <laughs> basketball team to where I'm currently located. So. <laughs> I can see the confusion. <laughs> I think what they're trying to do right now is just kind of find their Spencer Dinwiddie, find that equivalent of guy, find their Karis Levert. They're hoping Rui Hachimura can be one of those guys. I don't know if they necessarily think like, oh, Mo Wagner is going to be this great guy or Isaac Bonga is going to be this great guy or Justin Robinson is going to be this kind of person who, you know, this diamond in the rough who they found, but but I think they believe in those sorts of players enough that they think that one or two of them has a chance to become, 
you know, not like a star or anything like that, but a, a contributive NBA player. And I think if they find a couple of those sorts of guys, if Rui ends up panning out as, as a number nine pick and that's kind of what they're trying to get out of this year. And I think in an ideal world, John Wall makes, you know, as good of a recovery as he possibly can. They hold on to Beal. They have Wall coming back in 2020-21 and they can make a couple moves to complement them and then they can fight for something for the 2021 playoffs. I think that's what they're kind of hoping for. But even if that's the case, it's like, man, okay, so you're just running it back and fighting for the eighth seed again. Is that is that really what you want? I mean, I think realistically, and and even like a best case realistic uh, situation, like the the way this is going to work is you are going to have to tear the whole thing down, which they did this summer. It's going to take years to build back up because that's the situation the organization's in. Mike, do you agree with me that a Beal trade needs to happen sooner than later? Probably. I mean, especially if, like Fred said, the the analog is to the Nets. I mean, the Nets traded their best players or did got rid of their veterans. You know, they they didn't have an asset of Beal's caliber, but they you know they traded Brook Lopez. You know, they didn't say let's keep Brook Lopez around. I guess they they did for a year, but I guess the point is is that it, assuming that if your goal is to find the next Spencer Dinwiddie, the next Joe Harris, the next all these guys, certainly you would want to maximize your chances of both having the amount of assets and playing time. And presumably if Beal is already there, then you certainly have trouble with some of the playing time. And it seems to me, and this is the part that's sort of unknowable, but I think based on what's happened around the league with superstar trades and all the movement, there was a window where they could have fetched a lot more for Bradley Beal than they may have been able to fetch a year ago. So it seems to me like they probably need to do that. It's hard to know. Again, like we don't know what the offers are, um, but this seemed like a good time to strike. Um, I mean, Mike Conley went for two draft picks and more this year, and he's old and has a worse contract. So it seems to me like there was a good market to trade a star, and they didn't do it. So I guess maybe the market will get better in the future, but it seems like this was a missed opportunity. If indeed the goal is, as Fred said, to sort of try to find some diamonds in the rough, I kind of think that that might not be the goal. Maybe the goal is like just, you know, we're, we're pinning our hopes on John Wall coming back. We're, we got him. We're damned with him, damned without him. And this year is sort of a wash. And that seems foolish to me, but I, it's really the only thing that could explain a lot, the reluctance to trade Beal, I think. Well, I think that's what they want. Like, I, I, I do think, like I said, like in an ideal world, I think they're just kind of hoping John comes back in the best shape that he can possibly be in. Then they can try to make whatever the heck the run that they're going to make in, in, you know, 2020, 21. All that being said, I don't know where that's necessarily coming from. Like, I don't know if that, to me, I would think that would be coming down from Ted Leonsis because that's not necessarily how this summer went. And on top of that, a lot of the pieces that are in the front office right now were not the pieces that we're putting together this summer, you know, because they hired everybody so late at the end of July. And then they still brought in people in, in August and, and even in September with, with Rod Thorne and all that kind of stuff. Um, Mike, I'll, I'll take your, your Nets thing one further about trading Beal. They traded their guys. I mean, Ted Leonsis told me and, and later said in a press conference that they want to replicate the Clippers. It's like, well, the Clippers traded Blake Griffin. They traded <laughs> Tobias Harris. Yeah. <laughs> different, different circumstances, obviously, around the Blake Griffin trade than the Beal one, but like they traded Blake Griffin. They traded Tobias Harris. Like 
that's how they got their pieces. You know why the Clippers are really good? It's not because they have a bunch of big names in their front office. The Clippers, yeah, it helps to have smart people. But the reason the Clippers are really good is because they got really good pieces to put together a good basketball team. That's why the Clippers were good. You can have as many smart people in your front office as you want. You got to get good players. And I know that sounds like super, super simple, but like the Wizards are lacking I don't like saying assets for players anymore. I feel like that's the thing that I that that we all do and we shouldn't do. But the Clippers are are lacking g- good pieces. They're lacking the Clippers. The Wizards are lacking good players and and they're lacking assets. And Tommy Shepard tried to restock the cupboard with the second round picks that Ernie Grunfeld traded away and all that kind of stuff. And it was it was a nice start over the summer, but it's it's going to take a lot for them to put together pieces to make a competitive team. Uh, and like. Bradley Beal is a guy who can do that. Uh, one thing I will say, and this is not me like basing this on any sort of information that I've heard. It's just kind of like me throwing this out there as if you did want to trade Bradley Beal, like you might be telling everybody that there's no way you would trade Bradley Beal. That, and, that's the other thing. Yeah. And we'll, on top we'll, of that, yeah. on top of that, like next year's free agent class is, I don't know if they necessarily missed out on the best. Maybe I'm just being overly optimistic. I don't know if they necessarily missed out on on Beal's optimal value. He still has two years left, and next year's free agency class is just such a drag that Bradley Beal could be by far the best player available in like from like the time period of twenty like February until the end of the summer. If he were to be available, you might still be able to get like a lot for him, especially if he's playing the way that we all expect him to play. All right, let's talk a little bit more about a potential Beal trade in a second. But first, this from Blinkist. Last couple of months, I've been on the road. I've had more downtime than I usually do. And NBA podcasts, other than this one, of course, are in a bit of a downtime. So I've been using Blinkist more than ever. If you feel like you can't find the time to read all the books on your list, if you're someone who wants to read nonfiction books to improve your life and your knowledge, Blinkist is the way to go. I actually wished for this product to exist before they got in touch with me because I felt like, hey, I'm reading these nonfiction books and that's great. I, I got some good insights from them, but you know, I just spent hours reading these books and how much of the information that was in them am I really going to be able to recite and apply to my life afterwards not that much maybe about 15 minutes well Blinkist is built on that idea everything you need to know about these books is condensed down into 15 minutes that you can read or listen to in their app works on your phone tablet web browser you'll find everything from health and self-help titles to history and business books They've got Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goldman, which I re-listened to the key insights of that after having read the book in my 20s. It was an important book for me. The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Classics like How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. With Blinkist, you're going to get unlimited access to read or listen to their massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all for one low price. They have a special offer right now for our listeners. If you go to Blinkist, that's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Capspace. You remember that slash Capspace URL because we talk about it all the time here on the program. And they'll let you try it for free for seven days and and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist.com slash Capspace to start your free seven-day trial. And don't forget that slash Capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. 
So three points are number one. I think that if in fact it's really true that they don't want to trade him as of now, I think that it's because they are actually overrating how good he is. Uh, number one in the sense that, oh, this guy, if we keep him, he can be really the foundation of, you know, a really good quality Eastern Conference playoff contender. And I don't think he's that good. Now he's 26. He's, he got better last year, at least offensively. You know, maybe he can take another step or two, but I, I don't see him as that level player i see him as a you know lower end all nba type of player he didn't make it this year so that's number one number two why the hell is he going to want to stay at this point unless you know and maybe they're counting on the super max but it's been pretty clear especially for Beal, who's already had a 120 million dollar contract uh that he's gotten that the super max in and of itself has not been enough to get guys to stay it also has to be a really competitive situation which they obviously don't have here and so that brings me to my third point which is kind of along the lines of what you're saying oh you know they if you're you'd be saying you aren't going to trade him if your goal is eventually to trade him i mean this roster that they put together seems like it is almost calculated to convince both beal and the fans and ted leonsis that there is no hope but to trade him so you're suggesting that the front office is working against the is serotypically like setting the bar so that the owner will finally approve this trade uh, that they secretly you know, make? I, I, Probably not. I'm just I'm yeah. just messing around here. But, no, yeah. no, I, I I'm not saying that that's necessarily it. I mean, but it's not outside of the realm of possibility when it just I mean I mean you saw it, like letting Sadaransky go and signing Ish Smith, you know, moves moves like that where it's just kind of like uh, and you know they did get a few assets for Sadaransky, but nothing uh, not significant enough to make up the difference in quality and uh, youth between those two players but uh, regardless of whether it's intentional or not it seems like that is the inevitable outcome of this roster that's been put together do you guys agree with that yeah i think so one of the things i think about too if you if all this happened nine months ago let's say like in early december uh of this past year when it seemed like they were off to this bad start and like actually then you fire the gm you create this like kind of dream team of people from outside places in this collaborative front office and you adopt this posture it would probably make a little bit more sense but everything that sort of happened last year uh with First, they trade Kelly Oubre for a win-now player that they don't re-sign in Trevor Ariza. And then, you know, after saying, we're not trading Otto Porter, suddenly they find out the news about Wall's diagnosis. And they trade him for two players that they don't even have on the team anymore. And just that sort of short-term thinking in that limbo that happened in that period, they right now are paying the price for that. You could argue that actually the reason that they're doing what they're doing right now is that there is no rush. They don't need to wait. They may as well get more information, but they had a whole season to get the information they wanted and they wasted it. And I think, I think maybe that's really the lesson here is that last year, the way that the posture they adopted last year is now has ripple effects. That's going to cost them this year, regardless of what happened with wall, because I mean, you look at like kind of the, the trajectory of what they did from July to July, and it's just totally haphazard. It makes absolutely no sense. And from a long-term playing perspective, and it that, that doesn't just go away quickly. You have to pick up the pieces from that. And the ripple effect is that maybe they missed a window where it would have made sense to trade Beal because they needed to know more information. Okay. I, I, I know it was a different GM who made the auto Porter trade, but we are not talking about, like, I don't mean right now at this very moment. I mean, like, Wizards people in general 
are not talking about how baffling in retrospect the Otto Porter trade ended up being. Yeah, that was, I totally that was a good agree. move. I liked it, it at the time. It was, but, it was a good move. No, no, no. But here's, I disagree completely. I completely disagree with you, Nate. I actually yeah, it was a good move. I yeah, I think I think the logic ended up not making any sense at all with the way that they executed it. They they say they made the trade because John Wall got hurt and that it would it would open up flexibility for them. But it it didn't open up flexibility for them. And the two guys they ended up receiving for him, granted it was a different GM who let those guys walk, but Bobby Portis and Jabari Parker both ended up walking. Um they but, they but wouldn't they have been right up against the tax this summer if they kept Porter? They would have been close to it, but there would have been ways for them to to avoid like, it. And, if, and didn't they also get out of the tax last year because they made that move? Uh they got out of the tax with the with the accompanying uh with the accompanying Marquis Mark, Morris Mark trade. Marquis Morris Wesley Johnson trade. Yeah. Yeah, so but that was a, a big part of doing that. Yeah, that helped them get out of the tax. But like, if you're barely over the tax, it's not that big of a deal. They weren't going to be in being barely over the tax when you're not necessarily in danger of being a repeat, like a repeater tax team, I think is a really, really overrated thing when it seriously hurts your team in the future, right? Like if you have to pay a couple dollars in tax dollars, when you're not going to run the risk of being a repeater, because you should identify the fact that your team is downward trending and you're not going to need to pay the tax the next year. If it means not going out and signing, say, uh, Ish Smith for $6 million a year, you suck it up the following year because it means holding on to Otto Porter. They had other offers where like they, they turned down an offer where they could have gotten a first round pick for Otto Porter. They, they traded for two young guys who they said they wanted to get a look at. And here's a quote from Ernie Grunfeld in February. We wanted to give ourselves some flexibility moving forward and to get some good prospects that we can look at and players that have good potential that can be part of the future. Uh, it also helps us with our current players, Thomas Sadoransky and Thomas Bryant and their development. And it gives us an easier opportunity to sign them and keep them. Um, they, they, do, they do that. I guess they signed Thomas Bryant. They signed Thomas Bryant. <laughs> they, they didn't keep Thomas Sadoransky. They didn't keep the guys who they traded. The, the logic that they put out there for the Porter trade, the Porter trade just wasn't, they didn't execute on it. And I, I feel like that just needs, like that's, that's a, that's just, you have well, you talk about all these differing philosophies. That. Well, but but I think I think what Fred's point is that it, it, all of this is incongruent. You know exactly. There's no three, consistency of logic. Three months earlier, you're trading one of those players that you could have had the flexibility to have the rights to to for a veteran that was an unrestricted free agent that was much older, uh, and you you did that just two months ago. And then oh, I'm, months, I'm in complete agreement there, but, but I think that move in and of itself, if you. Like they got off a guy with a bad contract for and just got expiring contracts in exchange like that. That's good. But I, but I think I think that's sort of I, I'm not I think to focus on each individual move, I think sort of misses the big picture of what I think has plagued this team and what is still plaguing this team, which is when you're not really sure exactly where you're going and you make all these moves. Now, this new sort of group comes in. Uh, I know there are a lot of the same people, but this new setup, this new philosophy, you're starting back over again. So it was just, the whole year was just a missed opportunity. And this has sort of always been the problem with the Grunfeld regime, is that they you take some of these moves in isolation, and they sort of make sense on the merits of what sort of are true at the time. But it never adds up to anything that signals a direction of where you're going. And so... 
that becomes doubly painful when you, instead of kind of finding a GM right away, you wait a while to create this new leadership council front office thing that may or may not work. Uh, but that's time that it costs you. And I, I think even now it doesn't quite seem like they really know where they're going. So every move may make sense on its merits, but if they add up to, it's like, it's like an equation that doesn't add up to what it says it adds up to. It's like a broken equation. I'm beginning to think that Ernie Grunfeld was not the brilliant tactician I thought he was. Uh, so Fred, uh, this is a good chance to transition to my next topic, which is what is your impression of this new regime here that they brought in? Can you describe, you know, Mike has alluded to it here with, uh, this, uh, you know, the, the count, Council of Elders, or whatever you want to refer to it as. So, can you talk a little bit about the process of bringing these guys in? Obviously, they had some big names in their sites that didn't work out, uh, and just what, what the arrangement is right now, and what your overall impression of that group has been to date. Yeah, it seems to me that so far, Tommy Shepard has pretty much been behind all this stuff that fans would actually care about. You know, the the signings, the basketball logic, all that kind of stuff. Um, Tommy's been around forever. I mean, he's been in basketball for 20, you know, almost three decades, 25, 27 years, whatever it's been when he, he started with Denver in the early nineties. And, uh, I think he's very well respected around the league. I, I don't think he was necessarily a, uh, an extension of Ernie Grunfeld. I, I really don't think that's the case. The thing that I am really curious about is that Ted Leonsis says that he's changed, right? He says that he did introspection over the summer and he realized that his philosophies and the way that he was running the team and the way that he did things didn't necessarily work and he needed to edit them. And that's great. Like that's a great thing that you want to hear from an owner. But for now, that's just talk, right? And, and Leonsis forever has been a guy who cares about making the playoffs, who cares about getting an eight seed, who cares about short term over long term, right? And that's kind of how the wizards have operated. You know, we talk about Ernie Grunfeld and, and these kind of short term kind of band-aids that he's put on teams over and over again and how it's kind of eroded their, 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 their future. But at the same time, the reason those moves are happening are because of the culture that Ted Leonsis set up. Now, Leonsis says that he changed. At the same time, this is a guy who only, when was it? Four, five months ago, fired Ernie Grunfeld, not because of the Ariza trade, not because he held on to those guys at the deadline, you know, him and Jeff Green or whatever, when he could have gotten second round picks for them, not for Porter, not for losing all those second round picks, not for process but because the Wizards didn't get the eighth seed. And he said that the day after he fired him at a press conference, that was why. It was because they didn't make the playoffs. Extremely results-based reasoning. So I wonder, the Wizards start the season and they're 10 games under 500, and then they're 15 under 500, and then they're 20 under 500, and so on and so forth. And if they really fall to the bottom of the league, which is very possible, is that going to trigger the former Ted Leonsis? And if that's the case, then it's going to be really hard for the Wizards to build. And it doesn't really matter how Tommy Shepard thinks, or how Sashi Brown thinks, or how any of these other people they brought in the front office think it's good because Ted Leonsis is going to set the agenda just like every owner does for every organization. And he's going to decide, all right, it's short term. When John Wall gets back and healthy, we're going to play for that season. Then they're going to be sitting there fighting for the eight seed and trading first round picks so they could get to 38 wins and maybe sneak into the playoffs, right? So I think so much of this depends on 
how much has Ted Leonsis changed and has he done what it says he has? The, all the words are right right now. Uh, when they actually start playing basketball games and we see that there's an actual change, then I think you could have a really good organization. Breck Greenberg, who they promoted, uh, is now their assistant GM, is a really bright guy and is unbelievably well-respected within that organization. Some lower-level guys who they're giving more of a voice, I think, are bright people. They bring in Dean Oliver, who's obviously very well-respected and Johnny Rogers, who people at the Clippers just just raved about. Uh, they're expanding their pro personnel department. They had one of the smallest front offices in the league. Now it's one of the biggest. Uh, they, they've made some changes, which you can look at beyond just the people that they're bringing in. And you can say, this is how a good organization would operate. And I think it's very encouraging. But until we see it play out, until we see if Ted Leonsis has changed or not, uh, it's hard to say exactly how they're going to operate because that's where it all starts. Yeah, Mike, do you buy the, this new regime? Are you uh, overall pleased with just what's come out of it? I mean, from my perspective, it's kind of similar to the Wolves, actually, where I think some of the process stuff has been good. They've been saying the right things. They've made some moves on the margins that are taking advantages of opportunities, you know, like the Bertans trade and getting those guys from the Lakers, re, uh, refilling the cash of second round picks. But then maybe the big thing, you know, in the Wolves case, it was drafting Jarrett Culver. Uh, here, it's not trading Beal. Hasn't worked out, uh, or, or I mean, I shouldn't say hasn't worked out, but doesn't look as good, at least to me, in Culver's case, uh, not trading Beal, I think, in all of our cases. So uh, are you buying that this is a new day now with this Wizards front office? I'm always skeptical when someone, in response to trying to do one thing for many years and finding it failing, then does a complete opposite thing. I mean, this is just sort of like what happens in rebound relationships. You know, you go to doing the exact opposite of what you once did. This is the exact opposite of how Leonsis wants operated, not just in terms of short-term thinking, but also in terms of who actually had his ear. I mean, it seemed like it was famous around around the team that, Grunfeld's job was to just talk to Leonsis, and there was not really a great connection between the rest of the front office and Ernie and Ted, because Ted sort of took his cues directly from Ernie. It was a very one-to-one corporate relationship. And now he's talking about like, oh, it's an open-door policy. Anyone can come in and talk to me, and everybody shares the decision-making. It's one of those things where I automatically think, is this really what you want to do, or is this just very much what you didn't do last time and you're overreacting? Well, well, and also, it seems like, isn't that a rest for Leonsis making more decisions personally when you get right down to it that no one person has the power I mean maybe I'm mischaracterizing it Fred but I have uh, no idea none of us really know because this is not how anything is really operated before right like we it, it could work out that way it could work out a different way it all depends on the people involved and this is Again, one of my fears a lot with uh, with Ted is that he often knows the right thing to do, but he sort of doesn't always appreciate what actually goes into doing the right thing in a way that is productive. You know, it, it, I think it's a quality of a lot of these types of people where it's like it, they they take this theory of, I mean, we we're all we've probably all read Range, the new book by David Epstein. This idea that it's good to have outside perspective when making decision makings. You don't want too many insider people. I'm sure that Ted has thought on some level that like it's good that they have a football guy in there. It's good that maybe there's a tighter relationship with the Mystics, who by the way are fucking awesome uh, and really fun to watch. Maybe there is something to learn there. Um, it's nice to have Dean Oliver as a coach, not as a member of the front office. That's a unique arrangement. But if the people and the processes are not right on a day-to-day basis it kind of doesn't matter so it's really hard to know and i i fear that they've mistaken like sort of this overall structure of the front office for the real problem which is that the, the functions on a day-to-day basis didn't work 
um, rather than sort of this overarching, we have the way it's set up. I think it's more just sort of how they inter- everybody interacts with each other. And maybe this will help, and maybe it won't, but it it's kind of hard to tell, uh, really. And by the way, it would have been nice if they had done all this before for agency. You know, one, <laughs> yeah. one thing that I think is that we can't necessarily overlook, T- Ted is really, really good at branding his decisions. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I was going to say that. And so yeah. he has said this whole time, there's this innovative new, this is this innovative new way. It's the new NBA, right? And so, so, so Daniel Medina, uh, Tommy Shepard and Sashi Brown are all at the same level. And one does kind of operations and one does is the GM and the other one does injuries. And we can name a million different ways that those things overlap, right? So I, I have been trying for the last three months to figure out what happens when those things overlap. What happens when there's a decision on John Wall's, uh, you know, rehab that has to be made because that's medical and that's basketball or, you know, there's a certain technology they want to use because that's operations and that's basketball or whatever. There's, there's always overlap. You can't necessarily categorize this. And the answer that I've consistently gotten is you're overcomplicating this. We're just going to use simple logic. You know a basketball decision when you see it. It's a basketball decision, and that's it. And if that's well, in, the case – In Washington, a very, uh, very Justice Potter. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. It's it's Miller – what was it? Miller versus the U.S., right? Uh, I can't remember. It, it was the one where he just – he said basically like – Yeah, I know, I know pornography. pornography went, yeah, that was, that was the Miller case. Yeah, that was Miller. Aren't you a lawyer? Aren't you the lawyer? Uh, yeah, I was going to say. No, not anymore. Yeah, well – You have the most – You are just background on this. Well, I, I was never one. I'm pretty sure that was the Miller case. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look this up when I'm, when I'm done with this but but i don't remember what i was saying i have well, no I, recollection I, oh I, you know what you're i got it saying that- i got it i am saying i now remember i am saying that if tommy shepherd is just doing the basketball decisions and i know basketball when i see it and medina is doing medical and i know medical when i see it and all that guess what this isn't innovative all he did was promote a well-respected longtime assistant gm who a lot of people think was a good move and that's fine and he brought in a a long-time sports scientists to run sports science and they're not the only team to have a sports scientist in their front office brought in sashi brown who yeah he's coming over from football but if he's not going to be involved in the basketball decision making process and it's more just kind of the organizational decision making process it's not that revolutionary of an idea uh this this isn't you know you promoted your assistant GM internally who's a who's a young up and coming guy who's extremely well respected as well that's that's not uh this huge revolutionary thing and that's that's fine I mean that's completely yeah. fine it, you don't you don't need to blow minds at least right you know that's what that's it might it might work but that's not this huge thing that it's been marketed up to be so I think we have to be cognizant of that when we talk about it because it's either or either there are going to be overlaps and you're going to have uh, issues that need to be sorted out with how you do this, or I know a basketball decision when I see it, and this is just kind of a normal-looking front office that's bigger than it used to be. I mean, ultimately, well, yeah. if the people work well together, it'll work. If they don't, it won't, but we have very little insight into how that's going to happen, and sometimes the more people you bring to a decision... I mean, I'm actually like fairly... I actually sort of am open to the idea that like you don't want to over proceduralize stuff like this as like kind of silly as it sounds. I mean, these basketball is a tricky thing. These there, there, there's 
a lot more that is going into what basketball is now compared to years ago. I think we can get burdened by a process or by like kind of a bylaw or how things are supposed to be. I mean, I'm sympathetic to this. I actually am sympathetic to this idea of, well, I just kind of know it when I see it because there's never ever really a way to, to pin it down. But if the people, the right people aren't empowered in the right situations and they don't work well together and they're just sort of thrown together. Like, I mean, it, it's one thing to have a lot of people, but if they're just thrown together just because they have a few different things on their CV and you think that just because they have those and you bring them together, it'll add up to something whole. I mean, it, it, it all comes down to how it actually works. And that's just consistently where I'm just very skeptical. I need to see it before I really believe it. Because um, I think in a world, you can make a relationship like Ernie and Ted work really well if, you know, it was the right person. Um, you know, we always say you want owners to sort of stay away from the team, right? Ted certainly stayed away from the team in terms of what they were doing other than putting down that playoffs mandate. So it could work. It's just a matter of do you have the right people? After that impassioned discussion of how it's important to avoid over-proceduralizing, I'm now going to over-proceduralize the podcast <laughs> and note that we must move on to, uh, bleak as they are, the 2019-20 Wizards prospects here. So, uh, start with you, Fred. Uh, how are these new additions to the team uh, going to fit in? Hachimura, they signed Ish Smith to be the, the starting point guard. Isaiah Thomas, who should be healthy close to the start of the regular season. Um, how do you see this group shaping out here in terms of how those new players fit in? Because they really don't have much now in terms of uh, holdovers who are actually going to be healthy this year. Yeah, so I think their best ad was Davis Bertans. I think he's probably the guy who can who can contribute the most. I I love that trade. I had one exec tell me that that was the best trade the Wizards have ever made, and I think he was a little tongue in cheek about it. But but like, how often you see the Wizards get like a nice didn't they contributor? Elvin Hayes at one point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you say it because yeah. th this was basically the Jared Dudley trade from a few years ago. It was a very similar logic. Yeah, I mean, look, it was it was a good move. Bertans is he fits them well. Uh, he's, he's gonna catch and shoot unbelievably. He shot the exact same percentage, like to the decimal on corner threes last year as John Wall shot on layups, which is just wild to me. Uh, he's an unbelievable shooter coming off an unbelievable shooting year. They need that. And I'm a little underwhelmed with the other guys who they got. You know, Ish Smith, I think, is a really nice backup point guard, but him in your starting role playing 30 plus minutes a night can lead to some, some issues. Uh, and, and CJ Miles is, you know, coming off kind of a little bit, he was a little bit better in, in Memphis than he was in Toronto, but, but he's, he's coming off of a little bit of a down year. And obviously he yeah. just had the, the they, surgery. They did get him for free. Yes. Well, actually, oh, yeah. less than free. Less than for free. They, they were trying to get rid of Dwight. <laughs> yeah. They were, they were trying to get rid of Dwight. Thomas Shepard said that was the quickest trade he's ever been a part of. And I promise you, it wasn't because he was so excited to get CJ Miles. It was because he, they were trying to get rid of, trying to get rid of, Dwight. Um, yeah. That but was I actually a win-win trade, though. I mean, Memphis saved a bunch of money, too, once Dwight got bought out, and that, that gives them breathing room under the tax. So that was a, 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 I understand why both sides wanted to do that one. Yeah, for sure. I, I But I think Bertans is going to be the guy who's going to make the impact, because a lot of the guys who they got are just kind of guys who, like I said, they're just kind of trying to take a chance on. You know, they sneak into the Lakers trade, and that was a great move. They 
gave up nothing. They gave up a million, a million one in cash and they, they get Mo Wagner, who I don't really know what he's going to end up being, but you know, he's worth taking a chance on for free and uh, Bonga. Davis Berton. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And ba- Bonga, Bonga is certainly intriguing. A 6A potential point guard who's still a teenager and, and, uh, you know, Jamario Jones is, is, I don't think he's going to make the roster and you obviously get that 2022 second round pick. Because they're just trying to get second rounders, and it's like that's kind of what their off season was. So if we're talking just a guy who's going to make an impact, I'm I'm gonna say Bertans. Yeah. Uh, what I are your impressions of Rui so far, Mike? Uh, I I haven't watched him as much as you know other player other people have obviously from college. I know it seems to me that he's got quite a lot of ability, but I'm not quite sure if he really kind of knows spacing and knows angles and has like the intuitive sense of where to stand and how to fit into a team setting. I think it's possible he develops that. Uh, he, he developed basketball late. Um, and he certainly has talent. I just, I, I, I'm a little worried because I, I need to see more, but it seems like he has the profile of a player that the Wizards have sort of fallen for a few too many times over the years. Someone that's sort of where individually it kind of adds up, but it doesn't really fit into a team setting. Um, he should be better than Jabari Parker in that regard, but he's sort of reminds me a little bit of that sort of quality um but i think at the ninth pick i can understand i think initially i was very surprised that they took him and i think you know talking to ricky o'donnell actually studies these guys he was kind of perplexed that they took him as high as they did but i can understand that at that point in the draft it's worth a swing somewhere i'm i'm just sort of not sure what he is positionally i don't really know is he gonna guard fours can he can he do that uh is he too slow to guard threes? Um, does he have enough shooting range? I just think there's a lot that he has to develop to be able to kind of fit into a team setting. Um, at least there's sort of space for him to do that. And I will say what's nice about having Bertans on the, on the team here, and I totally agree that Bertans was definitely the best addition, is that for one, he's someone that does all is is kind of the complete opposite type of player he's all about sort of how you space the floor how do i play in a team setting he does only what he needs to do to help the team he's not really one to step out and kind of play a very different style of game he's kind of always moving always running um so it's a good sort of player for Rui to kind of have to beat out uh at his position to learn but also Bertans can play five uh and theoretically you could have Bertans and Hachimura play together at the three and the four in certain lineups so he's versatile um so that would I think gives him a good platform to succeed but I I gotta admit I, I'm a little worried uh just because of the profile of player he is rather than how good he is at that profile yeah he's got a a modern physique certainly combo for forward explosive around the basket he's had some decent moments one-on-one defensively but the the help instincts uh, have not necessarily been there uh you know kind of more of a harrison barnes style iso game which i think he's gonna actually have plenty of opportunities to uncork this year with really you know he could end up being their second best score (laughs) Uh, well Uh, well, who is it that said who else gonna shoot Yeah, I mean, especially if a Beal trade is consummated before the trade deadline. I mean, he's just going to like, uh, I think that they may actually like be going to him regularly and trying to, trying to develop him. But yeah, I mean, you know, he wasn't, wouldn't have been my pick there, um, due to some of the, the negatives that you mentioned. Um, and yeah, I mean, and then you throw in also the Thomas Bryant contract. I mean, their three biggest moves, not trading Beal, drafting Rui at nine. And then that Bryant contract, you know, haven't really been that amazing, even if some of the more marginal moves, you know, have been upgrades. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, and, 
that was before they made all these changes to the front office, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, the, the not trading Beal right in, in the frenzy and drafting Rui, but that's, uh, you know, it hasn't been that encouraging so far. Again, you know, if Rui works out, I'll, I'll be wrong there, but, um, I have to admit, yeah. I was a little surprised that you were so down on the Thomas Bryant contract. Um, not because I necessarily disagree, but it was, I, yeah. I that's not the feeling that I think a lot of Wizards fans have. I think a lot of Wizards fans are actually quite excited about him. So to hear your logic was interesting. Yeah. Well, well, he's, I mean, he's, he's a young center who put up numbers and was, you know, a, a maybe you could put him as a solid offensive center, but I think he's, I mean, Fred, maybe you can, uh, you have a different impression here, but I, I thought he was pretty atrocious defensively and, you know, doesn't necessarily have a ton of tools on that end to get much better. Oh, he was not good defensively. And he's like shockingly not strong, which is like you look at him and he's a big guy and he just gets pushed around still. Like guys will finish over him like he's not there and strong centers will just outmuscle him on like the boards and, and when they're trying to score around the rim, like, the Steven Adams of the world, the Whitesides, the Drummonds, like those those big centers will just manhandle him. I know he spent the summer working on his strength. To to me, the Thomas Bryant deal, that's first first player ever to spend the summer working on his strength. <laughs> Well, it's more than I did, so it's just for him. <laughs> hey, uh, hey you know, I'll tell I mean, you what. The, the, the I innovation. I just gained. I just went to Italy for thirteen days. I gained eleven pounds in thirteen days. So I was Damn. not working on my strength. Well, you all. were just your strength in a different body part. I yeah, suppose. yeah, that's 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 not a muscle watch situation going on. Uh, yeah. The Bryant the Bryant contract to me though is like it's the ultimate bet on the character of the guy contract. I I don't think if I think if he comes back and has yeah. the exact same season the Wizards had last year, or that he had last year, the Wizards I don't know if they would necessarily tell you flat out, but they will think to themselves that eight million dollars a year is too much for him. That is, I mean, I had a coach tell me that the coach there tell me that Thomas Bryan is the hardest working player he's ever been around. So that's that's why they yeah. gave him that and, money and there. He plays very hard. Plays dude. very hard, yeah. and he and he works he works like crazy off the court. And like I I I try very hard to make sure because everybody you hear, everybody who's decent at basketball, you hear, oh, what a great work ethic. Thomas Bryant from every single person who's around him and people who are at Indiana have said this. That dude outworks every single one of his teammates, like always. Uh, and it's, it's been the case since he was young. And that's kind of what they're betting on. They're, they're betting he's going to work so much. This is going to get better. Uh, you know, he does have a seven, six wingspan. So like right. if he just gets strong enough, like if he just gets in the way of dudes, he won't be good defensively. And he has a lot to improve on just on the mental side defensively. Like signal calling was not good last year. He was out of position a lot. The pick and roll defense was a problem. Uh, there was just, there were a lot of issues where he just kind of looked confused and, and looked like he was just kind of playing in the wrong spots. But like if he can just get strong enough and just merely be quick enough and have, have his, and get himself into the right position barely enough to where he can just get in the way of dudes with a seven, six wingspan, like, he he's he doesn't necessarily have to be the worst defensive player in the league. Like there are ways he can get better, and I do think he's a very very good offensive center. Yeah, 
look at his efficiency numbers last year. I mean, he shot 69% on twos. I don't think he's going to do that again, but that's pretty damn impressive. Um, and yeah, he's kind of got this like innocent, like puppy kind of quality to him that I think is actually really useful on a bad team because it's really hard to keep the mood light and it's really hard to keep the spirit up. And I really think that they missed an opportunity to capitalize on that more last year by kind of playing him behind Bobby Portis. And I agree that there's some intangible value there. Um, it's not that much money. Of course, you could yeah, say the same the thing culture about too, right? Like that's yeah. the, the Tim Connolly. We're rewarding the guys who work hard. And it's not, yeah, right. Like you're saying, it's not that much money. It's not like giving 190 million this, to Jamal yeah. Murray. 170. 170, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but, but point taken. Um, how do you guys see some of these lineup situations uh, and uh, playing time situations shaking out? Uh, I think, like, uh, how about at small forward where, you know, maybe Rui could get some time there. In theory, they've got C.J. Miles, they've got Troy Brown. Uh, but who do you guys see as starting at the three for this group? I think, I think assuming C.J. Miles is not healthy going into it, it I, I think it's I'm pretty confident it's going to end up being Troy Brown. Foot, we had foot surgery at the end of July, but he's still not back, to my knowledge. Uh, I don't, I don't know what his timetable is. They were supposed to have like, uh, you know, reevaluated around now, uh, and haven't heard anything on that. So, so I don't know what's necessarily happening. If he's not good to go, like it's, it's going to be Troy Brown. It would be crazy if it weren't Troy Brown. I mean, is he? What do you guys think of him at this point? I think uh, if you ask a lot of people around, I think the team and Fred would probably knows better. I think one thing that they they didn't one mistake they made last year is they didn't play him enough because he was quite a value, you know, useful player showing a lot of skill um, that they didn't have, and they really should have given him more of a platform. Um, and I know fans. I mean, we do this all the time. Where like anything that's like kind of slightly new and shiny, we get excited about. But he was for a lot of fans was a breath of fresh air. I don't know if he's a three. He's a little small. Um, I kind of think it would have been interesting to see him, yeah, that- Sadoransky and Beal as like kind of this, like a backcourt of a bunch of two and a halves. Um, but I think it's worth giving him more time. And I think most fans would be really happy to see him play. And I think he's got, I like that he's his playmaking ability, both on and off the ball from a perimeter position. I think it's unique, uh, a unique skill that can be tapped into. He's got to get better as a shooter. Um, and he's definitely a little small for a three. I mean, he's definitely not guarding the, uh, Kawhi Leonard's of the world, but I think people would be pretty happy if he played a lot. I, I gotta be honest, other than dribbling, I'm not sure like what he's really good at at this point. I think he's gonna become a good cutter. Yeah, I, mean, I think he already oh, is a good well, cutter. All right. St- throw him into the starting lineup now. <laughs> hey, Nate, we're not we're not talking about the the two thousand sixteen <laughs> Golden State Warriors here. Like, but by the way, he would have hit the shots that Harrison Barnes yeah, missed in the finals. But I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think he's got. He's. I think that that's sort of the thing, though. I think he didn't really get a chance to show some of the things he could do. I think he is a really good passer. I think his playmaking is pretty good. His court sense is terrific. You know, he's sort of. He's an excellent rebounder. As as yeah. like if he, he's an excellent rebounding okay. too. Fair enough. He will he will be an excellent rebounding too. But of course, the problem is that he's a three. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> I mean that's sort of the thing. He's probably playing a little out of position. Um, I don't think we're looking at like a superstar, spectacular player. But this, he strikes me as the kind of player that a good organization would figure out some use for. And I don't know if this is 
the right one, but there's some there's some stuff there intelligent wise that I've channeled into the right sort of skills can make him an interesting type of player. I think how good yeah. he becomes is going to be dependent on how good of a shooter he is. Like he was not a good shooter last year, and if he just flat out can't shoot, like if he's a thirty percent three point shooter, then he's he's going to struggle. And like he he I like I've talked about with him, like he he was not comfortable from the NBA three-point range last year. And I think he got a little more comfortable throughout the year, but he was just never comfortable doing it. His form was inconsistent. You know, some shots you see his elbow all the way in, other shots you see his elbow all the way out. He just, there was no consistency with his form. And like anybody will tell you, like if you're not having consistency with your form from shot to shot, no matter how good or bad your form is, if there's no consistency, that's when you're just totally screwed on 24-foot shots. And his he had no consistency we'll see if that was a rookie thing and if he gets better at that. Like, if he gets better at that and he can be a 35% three-point shooter, I think he could probably run some pick and rolls, be good at that, be like a not a great passing one, but a, a really good passing two, three, and kind of a good six-man type of player. If he can't shoot, though, then you've got a problem. He's yeah. He's got to be able to shoot right, the three. Yeah. I think it kind of all starts there for him offensively. Like maybe he could grow up to be like Evan Fournier someday if if he can improve his shooting. That that's kind of the that would be unbelievable science. Yeah. If he grew up to become Evan <laughs> to Fournier, be shorter <laughs> to be shorter. Um, <laughs> I, him and Sadoransky don't. I don't think their journeys are that different. To be honest, I think the way they both came in the league and the player that Sadoransky has become, I think it's a pretty similar sort of trajectory that we could see. Or it could yeah, be Andre Iguodala. Sado to me kidding. is just like much more of a like difference maker on defense. Maybe not on the ball, but like just as a smarter guy. Like like Troy Brown doesn't pop out as like, oh man, this guy is playing so hard the way Sadoransky does. I think Sadoransky is a better athlete than him too. So I, um, I would agree with that. He probably is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, sorry. I'm the only one who could do decent cross-racial comparisons on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we got Evan Fournier, Thomas Sadoransky. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think it's it's hard. A lot of people make the Sado comparison. I don't know. I think so much of Sado's value, Nate, like you said, is he is an amazing off-ball defender. And it's it's really hard to project how a 20-year-old is going to be off-ball, let, sure. alone, let alone to project that a 20-year-old is going to become like an unbelievable off-ball defender. Yeah. No, I, I'm in agreement there. So uh, any other playing time battles, rotational battles that have uh, piqued your interests with this team, guys? You ready for oh. a crazy one? <laughs> you ready for an absolutely bonkers one? Oh, boy. Just Justin Robinson. That's my... Not even listed on Roto World's Washington <laughs> Wizards chart right now that I'm looking at. Well, he's now one injury away, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. With Isaiah Thomas out for the start of the year, someone has got to be the backup point guard. And it I can't imagine it's going to be... They have a lot of point guards on the roster because Isaiah Thomas is hurt and John Wall's hurt. And so... Now you need another point guard, and Justin Robinson is sitting right there as an undrafted rookie on a partially guaranteed contract. You have Isaac Bonga. You have Troy Brown, I guess, who you know who can play point guard in the pinch, but do you want him to be your full-time backup point guard behind Ish yeah, Smith playing I mean, maybe, 20 minutes maybe a game? Maybe if he's playing with Beal, they can kind of share the ball. I was going to say. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you can do that, uh, but you still probably want another point guard there, and, and yeah. you have a it, couple of open – uh, spots for non-guaranteed guys, and and I would have to guess just using logic of roster construction that J- Justin Robinson is going to have a a real chance of of getting there. 
Justin Robinson also not listed on the Washington Wizards official roster page. Oh no, no, there he is. Sorry, he just doesn't have a photo. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that uh, or pretty much sums it up, right? He, he, as far as other playing yeah, time yeah, battles, he, he doesn't have a photo <laughs> or a number yet on on the Wizards roster official page on NBA. Well, that's where I'm going with this, and I'm I'm sticking with it. I think it's a I think it's a great positional battle. And uh, I'm excited to to report on it every single day for the next month. Yeah, no, I got nothing to add. <laughs> that that sort of sums um, it up, right? As far as positional so, battles. Um, what is the uh, the crunch time lineup for this group? Well, I, can I can I add one more? I want to get I want to get, oh, yeah. get oh, Mike's no, take. Oh boy, this is, this is why we bring you on, man. This is let's, uh, let's get right to it. This is great. This is great. Uh, this is this is amazing radio. Uh, yeah, you, you you told me you had until like uh, you know like uh, three forty Eastern or something, and it seems like you are uh, definitely going to be using up all of that time. <laughs> yeah, we're going two and a half hours on the Wizards, guys. That's how this works. Fred, I have a question though. Like, you would think to, one argument against your uh, Justin Robinson theory is that. Oh, here we go. I thought. Presumably, no. Let's can we can we just spend the next uh, twenty five minutes talking about Justin Robinson? Well, I was just gonna say, like, wouldn't it make more just, sense? Just to text just... me when you're done talking about him, and I'm gonna go like you know take the trash out, like do some do some like household tasks. <laughs> I, I was just gonna say, wouldn't it make more sense to just play Christy Tolliver at that point? Yeah. Yeah, she's so good. By the way, did you guys did you guys watch that game last night? Yeah, unbelievable game. Oh man, if people are not watching that team, are missing out. Can we talk about the really in- good, interesting, good Washington basketball team instead? No, no, we're <laughs> going to talk about Justin Robinson, and okay. then and then we are going to talk about uh, my next positional thing, which is which is which is I think is a little bit more intriguing. Uh, but my mind goes straight to Justin Robinson. Uh, you think Rui or, or Bertans starts at the four, Mike? Uh, probably, I would think that Bertans would start the year. It's usually how it would go. I, I, I'm guessing that. It's also nice, I think, Rui should have someone he needs to beat out. Um, the real question to me, though, is, you know, will Rui start at the end of the year? And that, I, I don't know. But I would think that the start of the year, they'd probably start Troy Brown at the three, Bertans at the four, and, uh, Thomas Bryant at the five, I would think. Uh, you don't think they would play Rui at the three? I could see them doing that. I could Might. see Scott Brooks yeah. doing that. Yeah, they could, um, especially if you know you need now Troy Brown to play backup one a little bit more. But yeah, I, I would guess that he does not start. But well, and, and maybe Bertanza's shooting makes that a little more viable um, to still have enough shooting on the floor. I mean, Bertanza kind of shoots it more like a three, and so Rui, if if he can't shoot as much, but if they're going to actually run some stuff through, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm sure they were happy with his summer league performance. I wasn't quite as impressed as far as transferring that to the NBA, but you know, they've got a lot invested in him. I could. See them really wanting to start him have that be part of the narrative i mean also like frankly this is a, a sinister aspect of this but like just starting these rookies even if they're not any good like increases their trade value and just increases your overall perception as an organization as like oh we just drafted someone who's starting as a rookie so uh, i could sense. see that happening i don't know from from ten thousand feet away i mean like 3,000 miles i guess it comes down to whether scott brooks shares that vision or whether he's more looking out for himself and winning games because i can imagine him feeling like he's on the hot seat now i mean scott brooks also is very much of the, i mean look at troy brown last year look at 
basically any young guy who you thought that guy could get playing time and has played under Scott Brooks. I mean, even all the way back to like Russell Westbrook, who played behind Earl Watson when he first got into the league. Scott Brooks is very, very much of the mindset. You got to earn it in order to get there. You need some sort of obstacle and that's going to make the guy work hard. I'm not going to hand anything out to anybody, even if they're a ridiculously high draft pick who's really talented and no matter what type of situation the franchise is in. So I would be surprised. And, and Nate, I don't think, I don't know how Scott Brooks feels because I haven't spoken to him about it, but I don't think the front office believes that Rui is a three. Hmm. All right. That's, uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, fair enough. You, you know better than that. I would, but I, I have a prediction here. I want to see what you guys think of this. Uh, Scott Brooks will not be the coach of the Washington Wizards past this year because he's too expensive and I'm sure he's on, you know, maybe, maybe you can correct me on this too, but he's, I think he's on like five minus one. He's making 7 million a year. No, there's no, Uh, there's no option. Okay. Also, it's just a straight five years. So he's got two years left. Straight five years, two years left. Okay. Yeah. Then maybe he will be the coach next year because they just don't want to pay him and pay somebody else for a team. That's not going to be any good. Well, luckily they they get, they got into the luxury tax last year. So there's, there's the money. Aren't they one of like the lowest revenue teams in the NBA, despite being in like a pretty good market? Yeah, they're gonna get that that John Wall insurance, though. They're they're gonna be there. You're gonna get a lot of money from the John Wall insurance, so uh, that that can be reappropriated elsewhere if that's money you didn't necessarily think that you were going to be getting two years ago. And they obviously got some insurance on this deal from last year. Now I don't know how that changes the way that they're gonna operate, but it, it could. We should put you that know? on a T-shirt. We got John Wall's insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Hang so the banner. Great. Put it in the banner in Hang Capital in One. Put it up Breaking Tea. I mean, like those will sell like crazy. Um, right next to the okay, so, GPE so, banner. So, <laughs> so, so what is uh? What's the crunch time lineup for for this group? Is there gonna be crunch time? <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? when? <laughs> uh. I assume Bradley Beal will be in there. I guess Ishmith will be in there. I guess um, Bertans will be in there. I mean, Thomas Bryant didn't play a lot in, in a lot of crunch times last year, but I suspect he'll be in there too. And then, I mean, who else is on? Like, I, yeah, I, I mean, there's nobody know. else, right? I mean, it's, unless it's Jan Mahinmi, I mean, they, or they're going to play Bertans at the five. Yeah, I could see that. I think is more what I'm, I'm thinking. Like they would go small. Um, I would have thought that maybe Isaiah Thomas would get plenty of crunch time looks if he was healthy. But yeah, I mean, they don't really. It, it, the funny thing is that like we could like concoct all sorts of scenarios, but like really they don't have that many options anyway, so it kind of works out. That yeah, logic doesn't I, I really work, right. I know, but let me let me roll with it. <laughs> I I could see if their season really falls off quickly, I could see the crunch time stuff. Like I could just see a pivot to all right, you gotta give all the opportunities to the young guys now, and like I could see crunch time just being like. Give let Ish Smith run things and obviously have Beal out there, but go with Troy Brown, play Hachimura at the four, and play Thomas Bryant at the five, and let these guys feel things out in high pressure situations. Isaac Bonga, Admiral Schofield, Mo Wagner, put those guys in order of how much playing time they're going to get this year. I, I, Jesus, man. <laughs> Va- Wagner, Fred? Wagner, Wagner. Okay. Wait, who were the three? I, Wagner, uh, Bonga, Bonga, and Schofield. I, ba- Wagner is number one, I think. They 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 came pretty close to drafting Wagner a couple of years ago. Wagner was 
I'm I'm not a good enough Instead reporter. Of Troy Brown. Yeah, yeah. So it was Troy Brown was the I Troy Brown went 15 at 15. Troy Brown was the the number one guy they had at that spot. Then I forget who was the second highest guy on their draft board, and then after that was Wagner. So he was like pretty close to being the 15th pick before the Lakers took him at at 25. They they liked him a good amount at the draft. Now, I don't know if they like him necessarily as much today as as they did at the draft after seeing him in, in L.A. last year when he struggled and he didn't make the German national he's, he's team. He's got to just hit shots. I mean, that's like... It, he got blocked he 17 times last year and he, he got blocked 17 times last year and he took 69 shots at the rim. Like, that's like 25% of his shots at the rim. He got blocked. Mm-hmm. Not ideal. No. Not well, ideal. But it's, it's fine if you don't go to the rim. Yes. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, it I, is. But if you don't go to the rim, then you got to hit the shots away from the rim. It's true. Uh, yeah. Unless you but, find but, us. But he does have, uh, you know, a little bit more competitiveness and a little bit more defensive chops and rim protection than your typical just pure stretch for Ryan Anderson type of guy in theory. But, you know, he's got to become like not only just like an adequate shooter, which he's not even there yet uh, statistically, but like a really good shooter to be a rotation player. Yeah, I mean, I think... I I think he's going to get the most time. I think Bonga is going to play a lot in the G League, and I think Schofield is going to play. He was the third guy, right, Schofield? Mm-hmm. Uh I yeah. I keep looking. My my Jewish heritage makes me look at Schofield and want to pronounce it Schofield <laughs> every time. Or, or really, Schofield. Yeah. <laughs> Schofield? Yeah. Exactly. Sh- Shlomo Field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that all sounds about right. Um, but but I think Schofield's- those guys are going to be in the G League. Schofield's a lot smaller than I realized when I saw him at summer league. Like, I don't know. I had this vision. Of him I mean, he's thick a lot as hell. Yeah, like he's like sort yeah. of he's but like he's thick, but he it's, he's listed as six six, but I don't think he's six six. No, they want him to be PJ Tucker. Yeah. That's what they want. That's what they hope. Well, that's fine. Yeah, but, but I, he doesn't PJ have quite Tuckers. that type of length, though, does he? No, and like he needs more flexibility is what every scout will tell me. Like just not flexibility in the hips, and so. You know, you wonder about the lateral quickness because of that. Hmm. Got to eat more um, pancakes. That's what he's got to do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> strengths for for this team. This should be a short section. They have Bradley Beal. Uh, that really seems uh, – I mean, pick and role play with Thomas Bryant, a good role man. Um, they'll probably have like three games where they put up 140 points, surprisingly, and we're going to say, oh, look at this offense. And it's just because they hadn't been scouted. Uh, anything else as far as strengths? I have, a, I have another question I want to ask. They're they're that. they're going to be good at corner threes. CJ Miles, yeah. really good at corner threes. Bertans, really good at corner threes. Bradley Beal, really good. Like they'll they'll have games I think where they're going to hit. Like I don't know if they're going to be all the way high up in uh, in three point shooting or anything like that. But but they have spurt ability. Like they have they're going to have a game where Beal hits six threes and Bertans hits three or four and Miles hits three or four and someone else gets hot and they hit eighteen threes and they they win a game. That'll happen. I, I mean I think they could be better offensively than some people think. I mean they were surprisingly competent and granted with a different cast of characters and a little more shot creators. But you know no. Nobody that you're going to be really pining over the loss for, like Portis and Parker. But they actually, with Beal and running the show, they actually, like, weren't they, like, close to a top 10 offense for a lot of last year after John Wall went down? And correct me if I'm wrong. On they that, were, but. they were, I believe, 11th in offensive efficiency after the trade deadline. 
How much of that was fueled by like the way Parker was playing on offense, though, and the, the hot streak he had? Uh, probably a decent amount. They had really, really good offensive numbers when Parker played against reserves. Yeah. So, so that was part of it. But part of it was also that Beal was just on fire the final half of last year, and like I feel like that could continue to happen. He's really good. He's a, he's a great offensive player. You have him running your yeah. offense, then you're probably not going to be a bad offense. Like like you're not going to be a bottom five yeah. offense or anything like that. And if they could play Miles and Bertans, I mean, they can get to some lineups that I think could be pretty difficult to stop with Miles and Bertans, Bryant rolling to the rim, Beal. Now, Ish Smith and his lack of shooting doesn't really fit into that as well. Yeah, if you had like an off-ball point guard who could shoot threes, I would be so much more convinced with that lineup. That that's what that lineup is missing. An off-ball that's that's why I say if Troy Brown can shoot, if he can be just a 35%, like if he's 35 to 38 on catch and shoot threes, then that changes that lineup. You can you can flip him out. You can play him next to Beal because they did that a little bit last year with Brown as a one. And you can play Brown at the one. And now you've got Brown, Beal, Bryant, who can shoot threes and is a really good role man. And then you got Miles and you've got Bertans. That's 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 a lineup where five guys can shoot threes then and you can run pick and roll with Beal and Bryant and have guys space. And that that's that's a pretty good offensive unit. But you need that last guy who can kind of be the off-ball secondary facilitator. If only they had the opportunity to uh, acquire one in their prime for less than $10 million guaranteed a season over three years. <laughs> who, who was on their team last year? Yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying a hypothetical situation. Is it like a, someone who might be able to throw up like a, you know, a check guy? Yeah, and if he's good in an international tournament, all the better. I don't know. It's just a bonus, though. Uh, yeah. I don't know why I referred to him as someone who could throw up a Czech guy. I'm just uh, imagining the image yeah, of that uh, now. Like, so, you... That's a disturbing image. So what ha- uh, That's what happens but... in uh, hour two of the podcast. So, so Fred... Uh... As we get to the weaknesses section here, and, and, and by the way, I'll, I'll echo what you're saying about the shooters, but with Brown, who just has not even come close to showing the level of competence from three-point range that you're describing, Rui, not going to be a quality three-point shooter this year in all likelihood. It, some some of these other guys coming off the bench-ish. Like, it seems like it's going to be difficult to get to those lineups that really have a lot of shooting around Beal. I mean, there's basically one that they can throw out there. So, uh, And you know, who knows with injuries or just wanting to get the rookies more time. I think that, that those guys guys can really hurt them but i want to go back to a question that we discussed at the annual caesar's buffet eat off at summer league which is <laughs> you brought this up fred i'd like you to answer your own question who is the best defensive player on the washington wizards this season oh this is like uh my favorite question <laughs> since you came up with it i don't i don't i don't mean my favorite question on this podcast by the way i just mean my my favorite question to ponder in life in general. I have an answer, but do you, I'm curious what your answer is. Well, well let's, let's hear it, Mike. My answer is uh, Jamario Jones. How about someone who is likely to be on their roster come the start of the regular season? Oh, well, no, 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 you answer first. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously the answer is Jamario Jones. Yes, the answer would be Jamario Jones. I agree. That the answer would be who unbelievable they, rebound. They might too. want to consider keeping him. Actually, I, I think he just like he's such should. a weird player. This is like the team for him to just yeah. be out there. A- on absolutely ridiculous rebounder. Just insane how good of a rebounder that dude is. Why and he uh, and he went to because you got Justin Robinson, my friend. And I, I think, think I think Jordan McRae is going to make it. Didn't they just sign Justin Anderson too? He's their best defender. Yes, but again, not not likely to be on. 
the opening day roster? I, I, the, I have no idea what the actual answer is. I, I, I think really the no answer... Idea. I it think might be Troy Brown. No, it's, it's it's Yon Mahimi. I think that's yeah. It's not even close. Yeah. Which uh, how about I we're someone talking about the playing rotation? How about someone? Yeah. How about someone who's likely to be in the rotation? Because because Mahimi. Well, well, so who's the backup center? Wagner. I was thinking Wagner. Yeah, I would think so too. And they only have two traditional centers on the roster: Brian and Mahimi. Right. I was thinking Wagner. I mean, I I think if you're going of guys who are projected to be in the rotation. I think over the course of 48 minutes, it's probably Troy Brown. But I think if you need one stop for one possession at the end of the game, it's Bradley Beal. Brad- yeah, Bradley Beal Bradley Beal turns up his defense the final four minutes of a game. I mean, it's not like he's phenomenal or anything like that, but he is way better on the ball at the end of games like a lot of all-stars are. And throughout at least the way that he defended last year, which I thought he was worse defensively last year than he was two years ago. But he would coast throughout games, especially off the ball, and and he would hurt you defensively because of the way he was playing. I think it was a workload thing. But sure, oh, you know, if you need one stop at the end of the game, he's good on the ball. He'll he'll pay attention more off the ball if if you know what situation you're in. But throughout the course of 48 minutes, if you're just like who's giving you the most value over the entire course of the season or the entire course of a game, like probably Troy Brown. Is it Bertans? I guess what we're saying is that a weakness might be their defense. <laughs> well, well, if he can improve his hip flexibility, watch out for Admiral Schofield. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, t- <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. This team was like two and a half points per 100 worse than the Cavaliers last year, which had the worst defensive efficiency. You, when you say this team, what do you mean? The, the, the like, Washington Wizards, team. like the last Washington year's. Wizards. Okay. Sorry. Last year, the Wizards were like something like two and a half points per 100 worse in defensive efficiency than the Cavs were, who were obviously 30th and had the worst defensive efficiency in the NBA's database going back to 1996. Are you saying like after the trade deadline? No, no, on on the year, right? It was like 112.7 or 113.7 compared to 116 or whatever the heck the Cavs were. Oh, you're saying the Cavs were that much worse. Oh, oh, so they're better. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Was I saying worse? Yeah, you said. No, oh, well, I meant better. That was sorry about that. Uh, yes, the Wizards were twenty seventh or twenty eighth in in defense, and the Cavs were thirtieth. The Wizards could be worse than that number, considering the fact that offense goes up every single year, and there are going to be more threes this year than there were last year, and the average offensive, you know, the average points per possession this year in the NBA will probably be a little bit higher than it was last year, considering the way that the league is trending. And the fact that the Wizards just let all of their defensive-minded players go. Sadoransky is gone, and Ariza, who was not great defensively but was still one of their better defenders, is gone. And they didn't really replace them with defensive-minded guys. And I could just see this team giving up 116 points per 100 this year. Yeah. I mean, the the good news is that they no longer have Parker and Portis, so maybe that'll be addition by subtraction, but probably not. Uh, any other like just big weaknesses that might be a little underrated uh, so, for this group that that we haven't talked about yet? This isn't really a. This is sort of only tangentially related to this question, but I'm actually curious because I know Nate brought it up earlier. Like, is was last year as good as it gets for Bradley Beal, or is there more room to grow? I personally am a little worried because his minutes load. If you look at how many minutes he's played in his career, yeah, the, it the is number really of minutes damn he's high. Playing. It, it was insane how much they're playing him last year. And I think they were doing it because they wanted, he wanted to make all NBA and they probably wanted him to make all NBA so they could give him that contract. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. About that, that wasn't the only reason. 
Yeah. It was also because I mean, Scott Brooks just genuinely doesn't believe that minutes are that big of a deal. He believes that you can rest guys in other places, that you can set them for practices and all that. Scott Scott once, and Scott is a very charming guy and, like, you know, is the ultimate king of the dad joke. And uh, one time when answering my – answering – oh, no, he is. Uh, answering Answering my – you know, 582nd question about Bradley Beal's minutes of the year. Scott called me such a millennial. Like he just doesn't believe in that stuff. Uh, he's going to have to. They're, they're going to more of an analytic model, which means turning to the catapult technology they use and all that kind of stuff too. They're going to have to change it or else Bradley Beal like really is going to die in a wizard's uniform. They're, they're going to have to change something. So. Yeah, I, I, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 because Scott just doesn't really believe in it, and and Beal is so competitive that he never wants to come off the floor, so he's never going to ask out. I I looked this up recently. Did you realize that Beal has already played almost seventeen thousand minutes in his career in the regular season, plus another sixteen hundred in the playoffs? That's a lot more than I would have ex- that I think a lot of people would expect. And For- he's only just turned twenty six, so you you would think. So I don't know. I think it's not really a weakness per se, but I. This is another reason why I wonder if they missed the window to really get value for him. Like I'm, I'm not as convinced that his trajectory upward is actually as upward as it may seem. Like I, that may have been. And I love, I love the dude. I, he's so much fun to root for. He's got such a smooth game. He's such a great person. But I, I don't know if we're going to get anything better than that from him. I mean, here's to me the thing that you have to add too. It's it's those minutes for a guy who missed time early in his career for mm-hmm. stress fractures, which he and his doctors and his trainers all say was because of overusage. Yeah, I remember the old company line was like, well, he was growing. And I just remember rolling my eyes at that one. So, yeah, I, I, I think he can get better. I hope so. I think I, just... I think I don't think he's done getting better. I I think he will be better this year than he was last Where year. Where is uh, how is that? Going to occur. What are shot the selection? Of this game that he's going to improve. Yeah. yeah, he took so many mid-range step backs last year, which he loves that, and but, he's. But like, I mean, how are you going to improve your shot selection with like nobody else on the team? He's got to take every difficult shot for this guy. Yeah, I mean, he's going to take really difficult shots, but he's going to take more threes. I, I I really think you can you can pound him into taking nine or ten threes a game. You can do that. I think. Will, will I, this I think team I can do change. that? <laughs> yes. I mean, look for all the for for all the. Crap that Scott Brooks gets. He wanted Beal to take a lot more threes last year. That was on Beal, not on him. He wanted Beal taking nine or ten threes a game. And Beal took seven, which is like not a terrible number or anything like that. But if he can take nine or ten, I think he should be taking deep threes. That's my big thing. I don't know if they're going to do this. This is just like my my really yeah, niche I don't know Wizards. That he has like the form for that. I mean, those right. deep threes are kind of more for guys who shoot like more of a set shot, which he doesn't really shoot to my recollection. No. He doesn't. Uh, I think he can do it. I watch him during warm-ups. And I know he's an NBA player, and NBA players are great. And he just drains. He's. I think he's a good enough shooter. I think he'd have to work on it. I think he'd have to spend an offseason on it. And I, he didn't spend this offseason on it. I think he would have to spend an offseason on it. But my thing is, like, especially with if you want space, run a pick and roll with Thomas Bryant at, at 29 feet instead of at 24 feet. Like, pretty much every Bradley Beal 3 is right on the line. And you want some more space? If Bradley Beal can hit a 27-footer, you can run a Thomas Bryant pick-and-roll at 28, and that's one way to open things up. It's not going to 
categorically change your offense, but it's a nice little wrinkle that you can add. And they could use a couple extra nice wrinkles, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, All right, let's, uh, I, agree yeah, with, go ahead, sorry. I, I agree with you, Nate. If he could do it consistently, I would think they would have already done it. So that's really the issue here. Um, yeah, I'm not saying he can't, but he doesn't have the type of for, for your Eric Gordon, your Steph Curry's, uh, uh, Ryan Anderson, who used to shoot him for that far. Second Ryan Anderson reference uh, on this podcast. You know, Lillard. Uh, like, does he have Lillard's strength in the lower body? Yeah, Lillard is actually one of the few guys who really, like, can shoot a jump shot. But but he also even, like, he, he'll he shoot a jump shot sometimes, and he shoots more of a set shot sometimes, too. Um, all right, let's, uh, for, let's get for, you guys out for of here. For what it's worth, oh, yeah. quick thing, I... I I do think he can improve as a as a playmaker as well. Like his patience, sure. yeah, his patience in the pick and roll, his general passing. I think that can certainly get better. Yeah, that's the thing that would probably show up the most to me as well. Um, all right, let's get some uh, predictions on record here for this Wizards season. Uh, start with you, Mike. I think if Beal plays a decent number of games, they're going to win twenty nine games or twenty eight games. I think if Beal misses significant time, they're going to be the worst team in the league. All right, well, so give me a hard number here. Because, uh, the, the, well, the, I'll give you the contract. The contract is that, you know, guys don't miss more than their history has indicated. I think they'll they miss. 27 and 55. All right. Uh, That's, what about you, Fred? Uh, I'll go 22 and 60. That, that yeah, defense I, is going to be yeah, rough. Defense is just going to be really rough. So, all right, I, I think there's a pretty good chance of a Beal trade because I think they're gonna they're gonna really struggle in the beginning. Um, so that, that I would price in a little bit too. That's true. Yeah. Uh, defensively, I I mean, there's no way they're not bottom five. I don't think. I mean, I, I just did uh, coming up next year is the, the Phoenix pot. I think they're another candidate there to be in the bottom five. So, and you're starting with that as a baseline. Um, and I think I, I agree with you, Fred. It could get as bad as you know some of the worst defenses of all time, even which you know we we talk about like. Like, okay, you're ranked number 27 or you're ranked number 30, but if 30 is three points worse than 29, then you're really like, you know, that, that makes it a lot harder to overcome with offense. And the offense, I think, is the harder part to project for me. Obviously, they're extremely dependent on Beal. Also, just that point guard with Isaiah already out. I mean, we haven't talked to him about him much because he was injured, but he presumably is going to come back at some point. He'll, I mean, I thought that was a good signing. I think he's going to provide some needed shot creation, but I don't think he can do it efficiently at this point in time. When Beal is off the floor, I expect them to really struggle. I think when Beal's on the floor, you know, I could see them approach, you know, kind of being like a number 17 offense with Beal on the floor because I'm, I'm a little worried about their shooting. And, and I think Ish uh, is older and can't shoot. And uh, although he's taken some strides in that area. But then when Beal is off the floor, you know, I think they're going to be a, a close to a bottom five unit again. So throw that together. You know, I, I'm kind of looking at maybe the number 20 offense overall and the number 28 defense uh, what do you guys think of that yeah that sounds about right i i admit that my sin, my prediction is in part based on cynicism that they're not gonna outright throw in the towel this this is great the cynical prediction is that they will have more wins <laughs> i mean last year they shouldn't have won 32 i mean they, they, they were a worse quality team than than 32 wins they just sort of didn't well that famous like thing that that our friend jake whitaker has memed over and over again which is ted leonis is saying we will never ever tank i have that like seared into my brain when thinking about their record yeah i mean i so i i'm gonna ultimately go 
with uh go a little higher than front i'm gonna go 20 oh, i'm stuck between 23 and 24 here i think i'm gonna i'm gonna go 24 wins for this group here's an interesting question what would have to happen for them to make the playoffs other than divine intervention yeah i mean are we assuming like you know the rest of the teams are still in the league <laughs> Like, you, you know, we don't see just, like, abhorrent comments, you know, Donald Sterling, like, comments made by, you know, one-third of the league, and they just get completely kicked out, and, you know, 16 teams have to make the playoffs, <laughs> and there's only, like, 18 teams left in the Yeah, league. so Giannis gets suspended for the year. Kyrie gets suspended for the year. Brooke Lopez gets suspended for the year. And everyone else gets suspended for the year. Hmm. Uh, okay. No, I, I, Bradley Beal would have to be first team All NBA. You have to be that good. I mean, I guess probably right. I mean, like, could theoretically, could there be a world where they get off to a decent start and then they actually make a win now trade? Isaiah, Tom- not, Isaiah Thomas would have to return to being at least very good, and Bradley Beal would have to. I think he'd have to be first team All NBA. And Thomas Bryant would have to be, like, legitimately a very good, like, 20 and 10 center. Who's more than just 20 and 10. Like, not empty numbers 20 and 10. Yeah, they they sort of have to have, like, the kind of year that Charlotte had a couple years ago where they just suddenly came into camp shooting a zillion threes and caught everyone by surprise. Yeah, they had, like, good players on that team, though. Yeah, I'm not saying it's going to happen. You're talking about the Al Jefferson year? Uh, no, the, the, no, the 2016, the 16. Right? Oh, gotcha. Yeah. 48 wins. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, so. like I said, I am not suggesting this will happen. I'm just trying to imagine if there is a world, like what would have um, to happen. Well, I got one for you. What if uh wall comes back? That might, that might be, would that actually help them given his injury situation? Uh, given his backups? Yes. Yeah. I guess you're probably right. Yes. I, I, th- I think so. Um, yeah. And presumably he wouldn't be back unless he really were able to perform yeah. at like a real level. But, but um, that won't happen because they need that insurance money. Remember? <laughs> yeah. So you can hang the banner. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just. I, it's just this like ten million dollar banner. It's <laughs> like, 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 like they get fifty percent of his salary, so it's just like they use ten million dollars, just like jewel and crusted. <laughs> what if it's like, like, like it's a two hanging. face? Like half of it, half of it is his face, and half of it is a money bag. Yeah. <laughs> this is like really emerald, <laughs> an emerald dollar sign on the. Uh, all right. I, I think I think we're out of gas here. Uh, so yeah, well, so, so you you got to what it take to make the playoffs, uh, Mike? But uh, best best case scenario for these guys? Uh, I think it's probably. I mean, in terms of wins, it's probably in the mid thirties. I think the best case scenario in terms of the direction of the franchise is that Brown and Bryant, uh, in particular, but also Hachi really establish themselves as starters, and Hachi Murray shows enough flashes where you think, huh, this might be a player we can have in our core, and. Uh, that really is independent of how many wins they have. Uh, so what's your number there? 35? Uh, I guess 32. I mean, it, it's possible, I guess, that Giannis and Kyrie get suspended. And you simulate the world uh, a trillion times. Maybe that happens once. <laughs> uh, Fred, Fred, best case scenario? Yeah, here's what happens. So so James Harden trash talks Giannis, and Giannis gets really sick of all the I should have been an MVP talk. And then Giannis goes after James Harden. That's how Giannis gets suspended. And then there's just a trickle-down effect for the rest of the league because everyone thinks Giannis is really cool and wants to be like Giannis. So they all get suspended, too. It's the cool, hip thing to do. And then the Wizards sneak in. This this is way too much mirth for Duncan. I think... We are a humorless program. I know. I listen. Uh, I think... (laughs) 
<laughs> I think the best case scenario, by best case scenario, you mean just like the most possible wins, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, 30? I'll say 30. Yeah, I, I, I'm. that's exactly what I had uh, as well. And then worst case scenario, I'll say 19 wins. Worst case scenario uh, is 15, that, that would I think. I assume a Beal trade. I think 15. 15? Sure. Sure. What if they trade Beal and all they care about in Beal, in a Beal trade, is as many future pieces as they can possibly get. So just young, developing guys, they don't care about getting somebody who can help them today, and as many, or they just say, give us as many picks as you possibly can, and they just do it just for picks. I mean, then then what's on this team? I don't know, 15 is so low, though. It's very that's, low. That's like, like I, I mean, you're just not going to, I mean, 17 by the Knicks was basically the worst anyone has been in the uh, the post-Hinky Sixers era. Um, I think the Knicks might have been 17 in uh, 2015 as well, but... Uh, one, one thing, yeah, I mean, one it, thing that I will mention, Nate, one thing yeah. that I will mention, which we haven't mentioned, and I don't know if this is going to be a thing or not, I've been told that it's not. But by the way, saying a thing makes you a total millennial. <laughs> I am a total millennial. I was born in 1989. I'm very much a yeah, millennial. You are literally a millennial. Yes, I'm quite literally a millennial. So, so that's fine. Do you think yeah, Scott no, was... no that, that's another millennial thing, by the way. So, like overuse uh-huh. of the word literally. <laughs> do, do you think that Scott was just like I've being... muted the word literally from my mentions? Do you think, do you think <laughs> Scott was just being very literal with uh, what he said to you? It was not pejorative at all. He was just like he researched your your when you were born and just figured it was now was a good time to deliver the fact. Right. He he was expecting me to just say, you know, did you know that you're a Gen Zer? <laughs> right. And that was it. My my thing, which I don't know is a thing or not a thing, is, I mean, look at what Sashi Brown did with Cleveland. If he is, and again, they say he's not involved in the day-to-day basketball decision-making, but if he has a hand in the overall philosophy and they do come to a place where they want to trade Bradley Beal, his entire philosophy with Cleveland was, we are tearing this thing down to the bottom. It was football hinky, right? That was what he was. And I'm not saying they're necessarily going to be in a place to do that, but if we're talking worst case scenario, maybe I'm fa- we factor into the worst case scenario of okay, Sashi Brown is involved in the overall, maybe not the day to day moves and deciding this player is good, this player is not good, take a risk on this guy, don't take a risk on this guy, but he could be involved in the situation that we are in as a franchise is not where we want to be. The way that I know how to do this thing is the territory. I mean, bottom. it'd be shocking if he weren't, right? Yeah, and so that's what he did in Cleveland. And I asked him at the intro press conference if he believes that that is the way to rebuild or if that's what he, what the situation dictated. And that's why he did it. And he gave me a complete non-answer. And I am as uncertain of how he feels about it today as I was before I asked that question. So I don't know. I have no idea. And if he decides we are going to tear this thing down, get as many picks as you can for Bradley Beal, get as many picks as you can for Bertans, CJ Miles is shooting 42% from three, trade him for a second round pick right now. That's what we're going to do. And we are going to play Justin Robinson and Troy Brown and, and Thomas Bryant and whatever other guys we have who are under 24 years old on this team. Like, yeah, yeah I think you can win 15 games like that. Yeah, I think it'll just it'll take too long to get to that point. That's uh, true, but yeah, that, that's possible. And I, I'm uh, yeah, and I do think that with Leonsis's philosophy, I mean, it's just whether he wants to make the playoffs or not. I think that if you have a roster where that really is just a total impossibility, as opposed to feeling like it's just out of reach, 
then maybe he's just beaten over the head with the the need to rebuild it maybe that is ultimately what ends up happening here intentional or not well, so one thing to keep in mind of course is that the lottery odds do not favor the teardown the way they used to and in the nfl yeah. there is no lottery so you know maybe that's a complication in trying to project what sashi brown actually thinks yeah that you might as well be halfway competent but here's the thing is like there's no way for them to be halfway competent if they move field you know i mean that's that again it, it all gets back to that in, in inflection point so uh yeah but anyway i'm gonna go with 19 wins i don't think they can get to 15 uh sad as that may be for uh, for mike who uh you know really wants them to do as poorly as possible this year. I mean, 15 versus 19 wins just give me four extra wins at that point to enjoy <laughs> honestly um all right a- anything else you guys wanted to to hit on here any any points that came up that you didn't get a chance to say with this uh this loaded three-man booth here can you imagine if there were points that we wanted to get in at this point well i do remember by the way since thanks to uh someone tweeting it back at me that one of the other october or september surprises in the injury world was alan anderson that one year so oh yeah he I, was actually like gonna help them. and i believe jared dudley had a back problem the next year or maybe i'm imagining that Anyway, Alan Anderson, I forgot about him. No, I think they acquired him with the back issue, right? And then the thought was, oh, that's why Milwaukee traded him was this back issue. But then he ended up being fine. Okay. And actually helped him. All right. Anyway, that's all. All right. Well, on that spectacular note... Thanks a lot uh, for joining us on this uh, rollicking yarn uh, of an off-season pod. Uh, And uh, looking forward to seeing you guys uh, in Vegas next year for uh, the eat-off, if not before then. Uh, So thanks again for coming on, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So it's football season. Danny has joined our Nerd Fantasy League for the first time. So most Sundays we get together at my buddy's house at least until basketball season starts and i'm doing all the research for the 15 and 60 but for now i actually have my sundays free really enjoying just sitting back and watching football but once you get there clearly you're not going to want to go out to eat and miss the games you don't want to make something at home it's not as good you want to just relax uh, on a sunday so what's your answer postmates been using them since the early part of this decade to order food uh, on football sundays or really any other time that you want food or alcohol i was at this party in new york uh, when i was there last month where they actually ran out of alcohol and someone had to go down to the store and miss like an hour of the party i was like hey maybe you should have postmates it but since i wasn't drinking i didn't really care that much but that person should have postmates whatever you need to get they are the largest on-demand network in the u.s they offer delivery from all the restaurants grocery convenience stores traditional retailers bodegas in new york city gotta call a convenience store a bodega in new york city 24 hours a day 365 days a year postmates is the way to do it for limited time they are giving our listeners 100 towards delivery fees in their first seven days when they use the code capspace that's code capspace for 100 of credit towards delivery fees in their first seven days when you download the postmates app anything you need anytime you need it postmate it save with that capspace code and don't forget to use it as well because it lets them know that you came from us all right, now let's bring on Michael Schwartz of ESPN, but formerly a Suns writer and blogger. At uh, did you found value the Suns? Uh, yes, I did found it. Yeah, that was uh, that was back in the Halcyon team blogging days. Yep the the True Hoop Network. When did you found that? I found it in uh, two thousand eight oh nine, just before the start of the season. Um, and our the network launched about two or three months later. So I was founding member and. Uh, had a couple good years with it for sure. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, based on the Suns' history to that point, you were probably just expecting like perpetual fifty-win seasons for uh, for basically uh, the the rest of time, right? I, I definitely wasn't. I definitely wasn't expecting a nearly decade-long playoff drought. So, but that's yeah, where we well, are. Well, there's. I mean, if the West weren't so crazy this year, you know, maybe uh, you might say they had a puncher's chance of ending that. Um, and you know, they have a lot of young guys who could take a step forward. Some of the projection systems really like them. Kevin Pelton, I think, had them in, in the mid 30s for wins. Um, but I, I guess where we can start is, you know, obviously the team really struggled last year. They had a ton of injuries. They had a ton of holes. So uh, how well do you think they have done at improving uh, this team based uh, on where it was last year? Yeah, the big thing is you say a ton of holes. I mean, they were craters at the point guard spot and the power forward spot. Um, almost not even, uh, certainly not any starting level players at those positions, but almost not even backup levels. You were playing, uh, you know, a lot of guy teams shift down. So you had a, some decent three men playing the four, which is okay, but uh, this team was last in the league in rebounding because they just didn't have that legitimate four man to put next to DeAndre Ayton. And then obviously the point guard spot has been just a huge, huge weakness for the last two years. You bring in Tyler Johnson, who's not even really a point guard, and he looked like a big upgrade over what they had. So I do feel like Ricky Rubio... Uh, even if for Utah, obviously they wanted to upgrade for, for where Utah's at and its team's development. But for the Suns, Ricky Rubio is a huge improvement of, of what they've had without question. I mean, you look at the list of point guards Devin Booker's played with. DeAnthony Melton, Elliot Kobo the last couple of years, <laughs> his friend Tyler Eulis. It's been pretty embarrassing, Nate. Yeah. Okay. Now that that was good. Um. Okay. Are you on like absolute minimum right now, or or can you go down? I'm anymore? pretty close to minimum. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just looking at my my meter. I can here, move it, and it's a, it's like, but okay. yeah, it's uh, it could just be the software is, is uh kind of an issue. Now okay, I'm a I, decent I think bit away. Is this okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's that's perfect. I mean, I was... We get a little bit more echo that way, which but it's also not as loud. So I think that's that's perfect. Um. Okay, so I'll, I'll just react to what you just said uh, uh, about bringing in Rubio. Um, so I've got kind of a hot take for you. Okay. I actually think that Tyler Johnson is a better fit for what they need next to Devin Booker hmm. than Ricky Rubio is. Okay, why? Uh, well, I think Johnson is probably better defensively at this point. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's what been one of the underrated things is that, you know, they haven't really had anyone who could defend at that position either. You know, not to mention uh, having someone, you know, I mean, D'Anthony Melton, Okobo, and, you know, going back to Ulysses, uh, who obviously you know, hasn't worked out. He's out of the league now. So, and, uh, Okobo might be on his way there and, and Melton isn't on the team anymore. But I think Johnson, you know, he obviously really struggles to stay healthy. So does Rubio, but just to be more of a competent shooter. And I think he's a better defender putting the ball in Rubio's hands might be useful as far as setting Booker up on occasion but you know Booker is not you know he's not just like some standstill shooter that you just throw it to off the pick and roll and maybe I think playing with Rubio helped the off ball game but that's you know it doesn't take a ton of talent to just throw passes to guys coming off of screens necessarily so I I Rubio certainly the way he played in the World Cup was encouraging but uh in the NBA game where you've just got to be able to make that three-pointer off the ball I I kind of like Johnson still better as a fit than Rubio now where I think Rubio can really help is running the team 
when Booker is off the floor, getting them out in transition a little bit more like that's where he can help. But I think actually, you know, Johnson to me, uh, could be better. And, and, you know, also interesting that the Suns have one of the most expensive point guard rotations yeah. in the NBA. Uh, but I don't know. Do you, I take it you disagree with me. No, I don't necessarily disagree. I was actually going to say, I think where it'll help most is when Booker's off the floor because this team just had last year no other creators outside of Book. So, uh, so much was forced on him. I think it'll be helpful for him to be able to take, uh, I don't want to say possessions off, but possessions where he's not the sole focus of everything. And I think it'll be helpful for, uh, Rubio to potentially generate open looks for Booker. I mean, I can't remember the last time he just had a spot up wide open three pointer. And in theory, with another primary playmaker on the floor that'll happen with Rubio but I think Tyler Johnson was incredibly underrated last year so I don't disagree from the fact of the just straight fit but I think that there's so many other aspects of Rubio that I think it certainly improves the team as a whole yeah I think that that's true and you know, it'd be interesting to see where Ty Jerome fits in in that point sure. guard rotation too. But I, I think, you know, definitely that's going to be something that Monty Williams is going to want to do is split up Rubio and Booker a little bit more if Johnson and Rubio are healthy. Because if you take Rubio and Booker both out of the game, now again, you're really struggling to get someone who can create offense, even run a basic NBA pick and roll, because that's not something that Johnson can really do if you're running him at the back of point guard without Booker. Uh, on the floor and i mean getting that secondary creator you know Ubre is more of a guy who can attack off advantages same thing with uh mikhail bridges cam johnson is not gonna you know we'll see how much he plays but he's not gonna do that uh and a kobo and and javon carter are not, not known for their pick and roll ability either so unless it's ty jerome who really is ready right away which could happen uh you know i think splitting those guys up seems like a a pretty good idea to me um so so you mentioned uh, point guard power forward you also mentioned as an open store they picked up Dario Saric there how do you like his fit with this group you know I've always really liked him I think the offensive fit is going to be awesome because that's another shooter where you can almost put a a full lineup of shooters I know you're probably going to say Rubio is not a shooter but you know so be um no, I would I would never say anything negative about the Suns, Michael. <laughs> Suns no. Reddit and Suns Twitter is well aware of uh, my positive stance on all things. <laughs> no question. But, yeah, just being able to completely space the floor around Aiton, um, run some Rubio or Booker pick and rolls with him, I think offensively the fit is going to be seamless. Um, defensively, he... I'm not as certain. Obviously, that that's kind of two, at least right now, negative defenders at the four and five spot. Certainly not. Um, you hope DeAndre becomes this, but at this point, not a true rim protector. So certainly worried about the fit defensively, but offensively, especially with the experience that Sharich has playing with Towns, playing with Embiid, uh, playing with those types of big men. I think that the offensive mesh will be great. Yeah, and one thing that Charge does provide, you know, I, I'm not, I, I mean, he's white and he's European, so I think a lot of people think of him as a shooter, and he's also been typecast as that in Philly and Minnesota, where there are some other options that took precedence, and that'll probably be the case in Phoenix as well, but at least he provides some good passing from that position and with Booker taking a little bit of a step forward in that area Rubio is one of the better passing point guards for the first time really I mean since the Steve Nash era you can look at this team as actually having like some decent passers on it and I think that can really be additive especially when you've got Aiton who is you know one of the better rookie finishers that we've ever seen 
last year. Uh, Ubre, a guy who can get out for some dunks as well, that uh, this team could run a little bit more and more effectively. So I do like that aspect of just they've got some guys on this team now that are actually smart players and good passers, which you know is not something that you could have said they had in the past. And honestly, I would say Aiton's in that category too. I think he was an underrated passer. He didn't always get to show it. And, you know, as a rookie, there's so many other flubs that um, and other little things that you need to work on. But uh, he's got the vision. And I think uh, I think he could certainly eventually become a player in that category as well. Yeah, I thought at times he even was almost too aggressive as a passer, which you know, yeah. probably you'd probably rather a guy start that way and you can uh, and to have some natural vision uh, as we do. I mean, that's something I saw in his film going back to, to Arizona. Um, you know, I thought sometimes he was just a little bit too eager to make just that first easy pass out of the post when it, when he got double teamed. And you know, I think just a, a little more patience and waiting for something to develop uh, on the weak side to make, you know, a decent pass to a guy who might be kind of open at the arc versus you know the next level pass to the cutter or that guy who's wide open on the weak side it will be the next step for him but yeah i think this uh this could be a group that can move the ball around a, a little bit uh and, and that's something that i think could really help booker because you know whether it's his own proclivities or whether it's just been the lack of options it's probably a combination of the two you know he spent just a lot of time on the ball like uh, ben taylor did a really nice video on him uh, how he really likes to back it out just kind of set up the chessboard attack and, and you know he, he's just taking steps forward for sure but to see him be able to be part of the whole everyone making quicker decisions um you know i, I kind of wish kakashkov were still there yeah. in that regard yeah uh, let me ask you about that actually i mean how what did you think of the job that he did do you think he deserved to get fired and then we could move into their other big uh, another one of their big offseason acquisitions uh monty williams i don't think he deserved to get fired but yeah. i think it was somewhat clear that the players weren't fully buying into everything he does as a coach um it, it seemed well one player is gone josh jackson in particular but overall um offensively his you know he he runs a pretty scheme and and the ball was flowing a little bit more than it had in prior years but um if when you talk about the leader coach who's gonna really compel players to play harder it just didn't really happen so i think it was one of those things where it wasn't fair i don't think anything he did was deserving of being fired but when you win 19 games it's understandable why uh, especially with uh some new pieces in the front office with james jones being elevated uh early on in last season uh, even in the preseason you understand why it would happen but i don't think there was anything he did per se to deserve it yeah i mean i guess you could say that alternatively he didn't do anything to keep the job and convince you necessarily that that he was the guy going forward but yeah it seemed like with the lack of performance and the turnover in the front office uh, that that was really the writing on the wall for him so what do you think of their choice of monty williams i think it, there's at least the fact that they're able to get him when he was in demand that yeah the lakers wanted him as well it seems like they stepped up with a pretty big contract um certainly his character credentials are, are impeccable uh but what do you think of him as far as what we saw from him a few years ago in new orleans and what his fit would be with this group now yeah i mean like you said first of all anytime you get a coach who 
LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers seem to want. Um, that's a huge win for a franchise that's been at the bottom of the Western Conference standings. And, you know, in, in some ways, the anti-Igor, Igor, since um, he's such a passionate guy and you, you feel like all, all the leadership aspects that were and I, I love Igor, so I don't I don't want this to sound negative, but you know, some of the stuff that may have been missing, you feel like he'll be able to rally the troops a little bit more. And uh the big thing to me is his work with, with some of the big men, uh obviously Anthony Davis in New Orleans, and then even uh whatever he was able to do with Joel Embiid uh, last year in Philly, I think he could be uh a coach who knows how to get the best out of DeAndre Ayton. And I think that was one of the most important parts of whoever the hire would be. Yeah, I think it, my concern for Williams is that it seemed like his Pelicans teams always punch below their weight defensively yeah I think that's ultimately what had uh I mean, if you look even like a guy like Eric Gordon, right, who's now lauded as a pretty good defensive defensive player in Houston, has pretty good defensive tools, uh, you know, and it's not like Alvin Gentry did much better uh, with Gordon in New Orleans, but uh, although he only had him for one year. But, you know, Gordon was one of the worst defensive shooting guards under Monty Williams. And, you know, part of that was because I think he just didn't want to be in New Orleans and he had some health issues as well. And, you know, Ryan Anderson wasn't a great power forward there either. But, uh, you know, even when they were playing like Omer Oshik and ad together you know they weren't a, a great defense which they probably you know they had drew holiday on that team as well i mean they they had some pretty good defensive talent they punched below their weight and unfortunately this sun's team to me uh does not appear to have a, a lot of defensive talent so i think uh other than you know maybe rubio and tyler johnson Mikhail Bridges is okay I think you'd be and Aaron Baines too I think as a backup center could be has been a stout defender for a while though he's kind of more of a system guy than you know an individual difference maker so I I I am very concerned about their defense I I my prediction would be that you know you're looking at certainly a bottom 10 and and likely a bottom five once again defense my other with this group my other concern is just the pace, obviously, with New Orleans, that he played a slower pace. And I feel like the Suns, especially with Rubio, Booker, Ayton, they should be at their best getting out, running, being in the top 5 to 10 in pace. So I'm curious if he's going to adjust to his personnel or whether uh, he's he's going to stick with what, what he did back with the Pelicans. Yeah, man, he came out of that Spurs system, cut his teeth under Greg Popovich at a time when Popovich uh, really, you know, before Popovich made the transition to running a little bit more and having that beautiful game offense. Uh, back in the, the first decade or so of his career, Popovich was more pounded into Tim Duncan and, and uh, you know, get back and play defense, play two bigs together. So, uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see how it works out there. I mean, they definitely just needed some overall stability at that position they've just had so much turnover uh with the amount of money that sarver has paid uh and the length of the contract i think it's five years probably it's probably a, yeah. a five minus one because that's these coaching contracts are always reported as five years but usually there's a team option on the end uh, that doesn't get reported so i'm guessing it's it's four years but yeah i mean they had to uh pay up to keep them and the lakers you know if they're offering a similar deal to what they're offering ty lu you know, we're only offering three years to williams so maybe that was uh what made the difference for him and i'm sure they've uh, committed to him and you know at least this will be a chance for these guys to uh, develop a, a system plus uh you guys uh, got my buddy ricardo voice on the staff now the mm -hmm. big man whisperer so uh you know i think we can we can assume that you know deandre ayton is going to become the the best defensive center in basketball within a couple of years here under uh ricardo's tutelage no question one thing on deandre's <laughs> defense though 
that I think is underrated. And yes, I, looking at the stats last night, he had the worst um, field goal percentage allowed at the rim among players to defend five such shots per game. But I think his perimeter defender defending is pretty underrated. Um, the notable- I agree with you there. I, well, I, I'll say on a switch. I think and and blitzing. I think he he's good when it's you know having to just retreat and pick and roll defense. Maybe you don't put that under the category of perimeter defending. But yeah, I, I agree with you in terms of being able to switch. But uh, you know the question is whether he's. I don't know if they have the personnel to deploy him that way. That right. Much, but I, I totally agree with you there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the big example to me, the the Suns beat the Bucks two times last year, which is kind of unbelievable when you think about it. But um, the job he did on Giannis for much of the game was very impressive. I mean, Giannis is almost unguardable, and uh, DeAndre certainly made it tough on him. Yeah. I mean, and, and not only you, you mentioned the uh, the rim protection stats, but I mean, just blocking shots. You know, yeah. I mean, when you consider 7-5 wingspan, you know, one of the more athletic centers that's been drafted, that's what got him drafted. Uh, the mobility that he has. I mean, I think the things that have stuck out to me is number one, just not being able to get into position. But yeah, what's kind of most discouraging about it is even when he's there, somehow he manages to not have that much of an effect on the shot. You know, and you know, when he does get blocks every once in a while, it looks really good, but it just like guys just go up around it. And whether it's just a lack of timing or recognition or whatever it is, you know, he's not like getting these, like, I'm going to get you up in the air, you know, Rashawn Holmes style, like highlight style blocks into the seats. Um, but he's also, you know, just not able to really like get his chest in front of guys, force him to miss that way. And also just like, it seems like guys are just able to like get the ball around him. He just doesn't have the timing to get his hand on the ball, even when he's in position. So I'm not sure that that is the kind of thing that necessarily can be improved. I think shot blocking is somewhat of a raw skill that you just kind of have because you have that timing. You just have the hand-eye coordination to get your hand on the ball around the rim. And so I think he really has to focus more on the verticality aspect, just getting his chest in front of guys. And he's so strong, too. Guys will bounce off him. Uh, that seems to me what he really has to, to focus on. And then also just the, the conventional pick-and-roll defense as well. Again, he has the raw skills, yeah. but just gets caught out of position, just was not able to play that game two-on-two, two, uh, You know that down-two pick-and-roll coverage where he's able to kind of stunt the gap between the ball handler and the guy rolling to the rim and you know make it difficult on those guys it's very easy to read him for the offensive player right now yeah and that's the frustrating thing because you look at him going back to draft day and he's got all the tools he's got as much agility as anyone a 7-1 chiseled he should be a dominant defensive player at some point in the league but uh for all the reasons you state obviously as a rookie wasn't the case last year yeah and i'm just i'm hard pressed to think of guys who struggled as much as he did who got to i mean maybe you could say average but and certainly to get to above average and really like a difference making defender when again i think some of his issues are just you know things that you can't necessarily prove we'll see i mean he's got good coaching to do that uh, in theory now so uh, that should uh, uh this will be a good test but yeah I, I do and you know if he gets to average defensively yeah i think he can be a pretty good offensive player you know whether he evolves beyond being a play finisher 
or not it is very uh is going to be very interesting as well you can really run stuff through him as opposed to all right he's just one of the best pick and roll finishing bigs in the league and you know gets like some quick post-ups here and there uh you know whether it gets beyond that i think it is going to be very interesting can he be you know a carl anthony town style offensive force uh a Jokic style where okay you put this guy on the floor and you have a good offense because he's out there is he going to be more of a defending guy and you know because that's what he has to be to justify that draft slot if he is only going to get to average or, or below that defensively yeah for sure and i think one uh part of that is the three-point shooting that he's been working on quite a bit uh for whatever reason igor didn't want him to deploy it last year wanted him to work on other things offensively but i think if if he can also become a floor spacer and almost have a, a five out type of deal i think that'll help him immensely um but yeah you're right lots to improve with him um yeah the, i'm interested to see how the three-point shot comes along because he shoots a pretty flat ball but yeah. he's got good good natural touch good touch around the rim uh, on his hook shots i think but he's kind of got more of that uh you know Rui hachimura is another guy like this i mean there's been a lot of guys like this in nba history where you know the way they shoot it flat it works better from 15 feet 17 feet which i think is another underrated aspect of his game on those face-up jumpers uh but it's tough to extend that out to nba3 with that kind of an arc and so i know something that the sun staff worked with him on last Last year was trying to get a little bit more arc that was kind of one of his assignments uh going into the offseason so we'll see whether that has uh, improved or not um let's see here what else did i want to ask you about so uh devin booker obviously is another guy who uh you know did not play in team usa bill simmons was, was yeah. not happy with that i don't think that really matters one way or another frankly no. um but it, I mean, they probably could have used him. <laughs> I guess it matters in that respect. But what is the next step now for Booker? I mean, I think you, you probably, as a Suns fan, had to be happy with the strides that he made last year. But it, to really get to an all-star level, what remains for him? Well, I think the biggest thing is just uh, competing better on the defensive end. Obviously, he's been one of the worst defenders in the league the last several years. And I've always thought that once the team was a little bit more competitive, the, the effort level would go up and he would at least get to being around closer to average, slightly below average defensively. Uh, but offensively, he's really the full package. I mean, 26 and 6 last year uh, in an age 22 season is something that only some of the best players ever have done. It, honestly, it's it's just um, only LeBron James and Oscar Robertson have gone for 26 and 6 in their age 22 season or, or younger, being six assists per game, of course. And to me, it's just the three-point shooting. And that was kind of surprising for a guy who's won a three-point shootout seemingly with ease. Uh, shot 32.6% last year. And he's just a lot better of a shooter than someone who should be shooting 32.6%. So if you feel that percentage can go up to, say, 38%, and he's still uh, hitting the, the two-point shots at the same rate, I don't see any reason why he can't score 30 points per game. So I guess that's kind of the two things that are the next level for me. Yeah, that the uh, and just getting him some more opportunities for catch and shoots. Absolutely. As well, I think it will be important. And, you know, I mean, the good thing about his game is that while the three-point shot doesn't go in that much teams do really respect him out there so that he is able to open up the rest of his game just due to his reputation 
And he will take some pretty deep threes as well. You know, teams aren't going to be like, oh, we're going to go under on Devin Booker. So he is able to really draw the defense in that regard. And you know, I thought the biggest thing, too, that I'd been wanting to see from him was that the team was actually better offensively with him on the floor. And uh, now, certainly when he was off the floor, as you have recognized, their weaknesses were so ugly that, you know, they were the worst offense in the league by a mile when he was off the floor. But, yeah. you know, he was actually able to drag this group up into semi-competence with his kind of floor raising ability so i'm very interested to see whether he starts looking like okay this guy can be the best offensive player on a good team if i think he's got enough talent around him offensively uh, as a supporting group now so that's uh that's going to be what i'm watching pretty closely and then obviously the defensive numbers as well i mean those are just you know i mean as good as he was offensively you know he was worse defensively in a lot of the on-off metrics and i don't believe that that's the case i, I think he's a, certainly is a, a positive player overall but i mean it's been that way for basically every year of his career and i think really just on ball he's not that bad it's just off ball help defense uh really just is not able to provide very much other than the occasional steal so uh it has to get a lot better there and maybe with a, a little bit less of a load uh, that uh, he can be helped with that this season yeah exactly i'm wondering honestly one of the biggest positive aspects of the Rubio signing could be taking off some of that offensive load to let him uh, put a little bit more energy into defense because really when he was on the floor last year he was doing everything offensively creating shooting that uh, understandable that some of those defensive metrics would go down how do you see uh, Cam Johnson fitting into well I mean I guess we can start first how did you feel about the trade to move down from six to 11 and pick up Johnson and Sharich and then how do you see Johnson fitting into this group well I was a Brandon Clark truther and thought he would have been a really nice fit next to Aiton so if that would have been the pick uh, I would have absolutely loved that trade because like I said earlier I think Sharich is going to be a really important piece potentially a piece for the future obviously he'll be a restricted free agent next summer but I think he could be that long-term answer so that part of the trade totally fine with uh, Cam Johnson obviously nobody was expecting him to to go at 11 and so my initial reaction was uh, a bit flummoxing but I get now looking at the whole offseason what the Suns did was try to improve their shooting they were one of the worst three-point shooting teams last year both in terms of threes made per game and three-point field goal percentage and if they feel like he can be a, a three-point shooting difference maker it still was probably a little bit of a reach but it's one that I understand uh, the question is where is he going to play defensively and that's the the question that I don't have an answer to right now he's probably can guard NBA threes but with so many threes in the floor and another player we'll get to, I think Mikel Bridges is one of the, certainly the third most important part of their future right now. You still have Ubre who uh, is going to log a lot of minutes at the three. I just don't know exactly where the minutes are going to come from since I don't think he can guard fours. Yeah. I mean, and we'll have to see what happens there. You know, backup four is a little bit unsettled now. You know, they signed Frank Kaminsky yeah. uh, to, uh, 
a one-year deal at the room exception with a, a second-year team option, which makes me like that deal a little bit more yeah. than I had. Although still, I mean, I think Kaminsky has basically played well for two months out of his career, so I'm, I'm a little skeptical. And he also is not uh, does not help their defensive problems at, at either the four or the five. It was, uh, I mean, I guess with the Baines trade, you know, maybe they offered Rashawn Holmes a similar contract, and he just wanted to go to Sacramento instead. You know, it would have been nice if they could have resigned him after the resources they put in to get him originally but uh yeah I, I think uh maybe there could be some minutes there and a lot depends on the opponent as well between Ubre and Bridges and Johnson you know I guess it's hard to get all three of those guys on the floor at the same time unless you're just going to not play a point guard or maybe you have that with the backup group and you'd say hey we're going to get uh, with those guys uh, enough offense around uh, Rubio or Tyler Johnson as the backup point guard when Booker's off the floor that uh, maybe that's a it can be a thought but yeah it is interesting to try and see where cam johnson is going to fit in because i share the same concerns about him defensively i mean you mentioned brandon clark i mean seiko dumboyo is someone i might have been interested in there but it seems like for the 97th consecutive year you know they really want someone who can contribute right away uh whether that's through free agency or the draft i know they've picked some young guys in the past but uh so uh, yeah I, I was not a fan of that pick but i mean the the reality is even at number 11 i think a lot of people overstate the type of player that you're normally going to get there right and so if he's any good then that's a fine pick it's just a question of whether you know if he's even a solid rotation player in a couple of years there's nothing wrong with that pick and obviously shooting is at a premium and with this high release at six and nine i mean i i do believe in his shooting ability so yeah. uh you know I, i'm not willing to shovel dirt on that pick i think where i am willing to shovel dirt is i thought they should have just taken kobe white at six and just stayed there see i actually disagree with you on that because i think this team really needed a veteran point guard to stabilize thing um rookie point guards usually take a couple of years especially if they're not the very top tier of of rookie and this team just didn't have time to continue to wait i know that sounds ridiculous since they're still projected to be at yeah, the bottom of does. the west but <laughs> i mean um, that, that, well that was my thought on the rubio signing. i didn't care for it it's just like okay yeah you can stabilize things and get you to 32 wins this year but like you know with the this young of a group what does it get you uh and i mean i realize patience is now in short supply after uh what's likely to be a 10th year out of the playoffs but it, i mean it's still i still think that you know that that's how you end that kind of thinking is what has had them staying you know and not building something for the future and i thought white was just an awesome fit maybe white's just gonna suck I, i've said that about about two teams because i said about minnesota too so maybe he's not any good and that was their evaluation but uh yeah yeah and i think just uh and i yeah, like again it sounds ridiculous because they're not projected to make the playoffs anywhere um i don't think the rubio thing was like oh now now the suns are definitely making the playoffs i think it's just getting to a level of competence i mean winning 19 games obviously in the past tanking uh Devin Booker has never tasted winning how long until he asks out uh and how much can a guy like Rubio help Booker help Aiton and really stabilize that point guard position so I don't think it's about um I, I think that those types of things and getting some success say winning winning 35 games would be honestly an incredible year for where they've been so I think if Rubio can get them there and then next offseason you say okay how can we really make that next step I think that would be why that's so important and why I didn't really care to draft a rookie point guard this year 
yeah i would have thought that maybe tyler johnson could be that stabilizing uh, force again um to start next to uh um, to to start next to booker but yeah i i understand that thinking and you know perhaps getting into a competent system will really help booker and ayton and if they develop a, and rubio helps them with that then you know i, I think it, you're uh your point is a good one but i think what's going to end up happening is that we're going to look at rubio in a couple of years and be like man the suns really need to upgrade a point guard and this was their chance to get someone who i think has the talent i think also just i really loved the fit of white next to booker pushing the ball and also being able to shoot and having some defensive talent again you know a rookie is not uh not going to necessarily help you win games this year but they already had tyler johnson so I, I, my fear is just like when you really have a chance for booker and ayton to be ready to win two years years from now you're going to look at the point guard position and be like they don't have anyone and they have no way to get anyone whereas white you know could have been ready at that point as well and they could have gone the veteran stopgap route uh, and also you know saved some money for the next couple of years as well by not spending 17 million a year on rubio so uh i didn't care for that but but so you you are in favor of, of the rubio signing then it sounds like yeah overall. i i am i mean it, is it a little bit too much um, money a little more than what I would have liked sure but I feel like the Suns were always going to have to overpay and you look at the free agent market like they were never getting Kemba obviously they were never getting Kyrie Irving so when you look at the actual sure. point guards who were attainable I mean I suppose Sadoransky might have been an interesting fit especially with uh, what his contract had ended up being but I think that it was understandable and that was the position to go all in on as much as 351 is going all in uh, for the Suns this offseason yeah i think i i would have preferred sataransky or or dale on right i mean i think those guys give you i mean they don't have the same experience as rubio but i think uh they give you maybe a little bit more defensively at this point in their careers and you know the shooting it is probably i have the beholder between all three of those guys but with the price being a little bit lower and then they wouldn't have had to make that deal for josh jackson where they had to give up some assets as well to get off of him so they could still maintain uber's cap hold and give him that deal um anyone else you're thinking is going to be able to take a big step forward this year for this team yeah i think mikhail bridges is the other guy um somewhat overshadowed last year by all the losing and the fact that they had the number one overall pick on the roster but he quietly had a really nice rookie season and his on-ball defense is spectacular already one of the leaders in steals per game and i think he can become one of those really prototypical three and d type players with perhaps a little bit more shot creation than he showed last year because he showed almost none so i think he's the guy who in year two i'd be looking to make a big leap and i really think that he he is, at least for now, that third piece in a future Booker, Aiton, Bridges a trio. Yeah, I liked what he was able to do offensively. Uh, I'm not quite as high on his defense as you are, I wouldn't say. I mean, I think he's very solid. I think he executes. He's a smarter player than they've had in that position. The defensive numbers for him were good. I just don't think he quite has the heft to really guard some, some of the best guys in the West. Uh, and you know, I don't think his feet are like incredibly amazing as far as like pressuring the ball. I think he could be a solid defender there and shooter. And so that's, you know, for where he was drafted, that's a solid piece to have. Anybody at the three position who can defend competently and shoot competently is an extremely valuable player. I don't quite see him as the defensive difference maker, uh, however, uh, on that end. Well, Nate, I've been, look at what I've been uh, watching defensively. So from... <laughs> Yeah, well, that's all right. I mean, that's uh, the disagreements are, are what makes this interesting. Um, 
So I mean, what impresses uh, what about, me? Yeah, good. What, what impresses me with Bridges the way I've seen him just swipe the ball the way you'd expect, like the best player on a on a high school team to uh, swipe it away from kids who don't know how to play basketball. You know, he's and he's doing that against James Harden. So that's one of the things where I see that he's already doing that kind of stuff as a rookie. I'm like, okay, how good can you? Yeah, defensively. So, uh, but, but at Kelly, the same time, I, yeah, ahead, I, I do agree with you about the heft. Um, there were times when uh, a bigger player was on him and he just had absolutely no chance. So definitely needs to get stronger to be able to defend those types of guys. How about Kelly Oubre and his fit there? I mean, he, he had a pretty good run in terms of scoring and then got shut down with that thumb surgery at the end. I mean, are, are you thinking that uh, he is also just a, a long-term starter for this group or is this kind of more of a bridge, that two-year, $30 million contract? And, and we'll see, he's got a... I guess here's a better way to put it. Do you think he has to get a lot better based on what he did in the Suns uniform last year? Um, or do you think that you know he can really contribute to winning as early as this year i think that a two-year deal was perfect because i'm not sure um two years 30 million for Ubre. it was a no-brainer to bring him back because of for nothing else what he meant for the culture and uh his valley boys hashtag that that he coined and everyone just really loved playing with him um i'm not sure if he's the long-term starter because first of all, I think Mikel Bridges is the long-term starter at the three. I don't think he's big enough to be your long-term starter at the four either. So I really like him right now as the sixth man to bring some energy. And certainly looking at the Suns bench right now, they need another creator. Um, we've already talked about staggering Booker and Rubio. But even on top of that, the bench has a lot of guys who shoot, not a lot of guys who create their own shots. So I think having him be the offensive fulcrum of the bench would be his best role for the next two years. But uh, definitely needs to become a real, real core piece who you're going to want to sign to his next contract. Uh, probably needs to become a, a better shooter. Uh, certainly needs to show more defensively. Again, another guy who has some of the tools but hasn't put it all together on that end. Yeah, and he's another guy. The thought when he was drafted with that massive seven-two wingspan and his athleticism was he could be a, a combo forward, but he just hasn't really developed that way. He's been much better. You know, Washington used him a lot more on the ball, even defending point guards. And the hope really is that he could play some four, play alongside Bridges. But yeah, it is kind of tough to see that. You hope he can shoot it a little better, but I think defensively, a little bit less gambling, getting stronger. I mean, the one of the issues that he had was getting posted up a. a a lot last year yeah as well no where question. really they had to send double team help on him he, he would just get put in the goal so whether it's getting tougher getting stronger defensively or then improving the shot i think if he could do either of those two things and maybe throw a pass once in a while too that could yeah. help him but yeah uh if he could do either of those two things uh then i think he could be a really valuable player so and there's nothing wrong with that contract i, I agree with you i think it's about the right length of time uh, for a guy who's going to be 24 maybe he could really take a step forward and be part of the score or maybe they move on from him in a couple of years but he did show some flashes uh, with this group yeah there's no question and i think the trade to bring him in i mean trevor ariza clearly didn't want to be in phoenix so i think getting a guy who can at least be a part of <laughs> yeah yeah no question um at least be a part of your team obviously half of last year and the next two years that was already a win oh for sure yeah and that signing just in and of itself the Ariza signing was kind of a disaster and so was the uh the anderson trade um although they at least got him to reduce his guarantee a little bit but see uh, I, I disagree with yeah. that because um you look at what they were giving up they didn't really give anything up to get anderson you know they they gave up 
Oh yeah, no, it, I, I'm talking about purely just on the floor. You know, in, in terms oh, yeah, in terms of like did complete, it improve the team? Yeah, correct. But yeah, the so, guy no, they, I think both Ariza, Ariza and Anderson actually worked out in that they're able to get guys who contributed exactly. exactly. Uh, so that actually worked out well. Uh, I mean, Anderson, that was uh, to get uh, part of that was just to, to get save the Heat some money. But Johnson is way better than Anderson right. this year. So yeah, that's the thing. Like you even joked about the Suns having one of the most expensive point guard duos, but you know that was a sunk cost. The Brandon Knight contract was a disaster, and they were able to turn that into a useful piece. So I think that was a nice job of of turning a, a huge negative into a player who's been productive for them. Yeah, I don't think they necessarily have any regression candidates on the team. Maybe you could no. say Bain who was right yeah, sorry you're you're gonna uh, you have one no no I, I i agree i mean baines is their only player not born in the 90s so he <laughs> he would be the player but it's it feels weird to say that for a guy who i'm actually excited about getting um watched him a lot for this australia run um in the FIBA world cup and now i think he's the the perfect kind of guy to push Aiton because Aiton seemed to really respect the big physical centers. Uh, Steven Adams handed his, his lunch a few times and uh, Aiton seemed to learn a lot and respect a guy like that. And I think that Baines will have his ear. So I think that was an important trade for this year and for how we can help Aiton. And then uh, to me, I don't know where this guy developed a three-point stroke, but I'm excited to see if he's going to shoot it a little bit more. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, he had that, that huge game against France in the World Cup. Philly, Philly fans are still having flashbacks yeah. a few years ago, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's like, it doesn't look very good. <laughs> so maybe, right. maybe we're not excited to see it <laughs> but because it's just the, the crazy form that he has. Uh, but yeah, if it goes in and, and could allow them to space the floor. Um, and, and I think Baines is just the exact model for what can help Aiton get better. Exactly. Taking charges, moving his feet. I mean, if you could put Aaron Baines's brain into DeAndre Aiton's body, you know, you would really have something there because Baines, you know, is just great at verticality. He's not worried about getting dunked on. Uh, which is a great trait for a, a center to have. He plays really physically. Uh, so that's, uh, I do think that he can help Phoenix get better defensively. It's just, you know, the question is that in Detroit, you know, Baines really was not as good and he's in his early thirties. Now he had the two best seasons of his career, I think in Boston. Yeah. And, but in a lesser defensive system with lesser talent around him, you know, he can kind of get traffic coned a little bit. He's not athletic enough to really cover the ground in Boston where stuff was really getting funneled into him. He was able to be really effective. So given the age and, uh, you know, he also has a lot of trouble finishing on the pick and roll. He's not really a pick and roll threat at all. Wasn't asked to do that in Boston. So I, I imagine like you're saying, he's probably going to be more of a, a spot up shooter. We'll see whether that's really part of his game or not. But I'm, uh, I do worry that especially on that second unit that doesn't look like it has a, a ton of defense on it yeah that he uh, could be exposed to having to defend more in space than he did at Boston yeah certainly a concern but um I think overall he, he, I don't know how many minutes he's even going to play because he's not going to be playing with Aiton and you yeah. expect Aiton to be playing maybe mid-30s minutes per game so I, I'm I'm very happy with him as the backup center but you're right there could certainly yeah. be some issues on the second unit yeah, I thought that was a good trade for them. Uh, picking up Ty Jerome, number 24, and Baines, who I, I mean, he's basically, in terms of salary, right about the level of some of these guys who signed for the room exception, like your Ed Davis, Kevon Looney, those type of guys, right around there in terms of salary, only 
we had him for one year uh he's also just got a little bit more size than some of the backup centers who signed this offseason you know i like him better than like ennis Cantor, his replacement in boston and so and then to get number 24 this year for that bucks pick next year which is a year in the future and is probably going to be higher than 24 and a draft that's not really projected to be any better than this year's i, I thought that was a, a good piece of business for them uh to take advantage of boston's need to cut salary of course then they also had to do the josh jackson trade yeah. which undid a lot of the good from that because they took on the salary of Baines, but in and of itself, I thought that was a good move. Yeah, and I think, you know, talking about some of the smaller moves that the Suns made, and I think it's easy to nitpick some of the stuff, obviously, in terms of pure value, the the Memphis Josh Jackson D'Anthony Melton trade uh, was suboptimal for the Suns to say the least but I think if you look at this team on the whole it's much improved they have uh, veterans like Rubio and Baines and um, overall just their depth is a lot better and the last couple of years they were relying on G League players to play key roles like sometimes even starting point guard and you know the Minnesota trade the Memphis trade the value wasn't always there but when you look big picture this team actually has NBA players to put around Booker and Aiton now and that couldn't be said the last few years no I I agree with you there uh I think so uh, let's look at the uh, the backcourt wing rotation player here let me give you a few of the guys uh, that we haven't talked about yet and maybe we can say all right who do we think is going to play the most out of this group so of the guys who aren't necessarily established NBA rotation players you got Javon Carter who they picked up in the Jackson deal Elia Kobo Ty Jerome, Jalen LeCue, and Cam Johnson. So uh, put those guys in order for me in terms of who you think is going to play the most between Carter, Okobo, Jerome, LeCue, and Cam Johnson. Well, I don't think Carter and Okobo are going to play at all, and I wouldn't be surprised if one of them was gone before the start of the season. So those two are definitely at the bottom. Uh, the two rookies, I don't know about. I could see them not playing much the first month, month and a half, but especially when in injuries inevitably come, I think they are going to get a chance. So I'll go uh, Cam Johnson 1, Jerome 2. Uh, who else do you have in that group? I'm missing one. Uh, LeCue, Okobo, oh, yeah. Le- Carter. So. LeCue, it, it feels like, is essentially going to be their G League shuttle guy. And yeah. uh, from what we saw of him in Summer League, I think he's incredibly intriguing, almost physically a, a mini Westbrook type. Um, obviously, he wasn't drafted, so he's nowhere near an actual uh, Westbrook type of projection. But he's the type of guy who high ceiling, low floor type of lottery pick that I'm really interested to see how he develops. But I couldn't imagine expecting anything from him this year. So I really think of those five, uh, the two first round picks, uh, Cam Johnson and Ty Jerome are the only two with even a chance of playing this year. So I'll go uh, Cam Johnson one, Ty Jerome two. Yeah, real quickly, if they do move on from a Kobo, would that be something that you would support? I mean, they did invest the 31st pick in him, uh, you know, a, a year and three months ago. Nate, sadly, I'm uh, used to them investing top five second round picks <laughs> and moving on within a year or two. So at this point, again, I would say is a sunk cost. There's so many guys ahead of him in the point well, guard well, so, rotation. So you just didn't think he was any good last no, year? No, I did, he didn't I, well, show enough to 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 want to for you to want to keep him around. I mean, the guy I would have preferred to keep was Melton quite honestly because I thought he did at least have that uh, defensive mentality that I thought he could have been a good fit next to Booker but now just looking at how many point guards they've acquired and and where he is I, I I'd be okay with moving on from him 
Yeah, and I'll echo what you said about LeCue. He really intrigued me as well. I thought his first step was blindingly fast. Yeah. And that's something that you really, you know, his jump shot is uh, very, very raw at this point. But hopefully that's something that they can improve for him uh, with their G League team. What do you think is the crunch time lineup for this group? I think it's going to be Rubio, Booker, Bridges, Ubre, and Aiton. And then Sharich, depending on the matchup, could be in there for either Bridges or Ubre. Yeah, and maybe, you know, we'll see how, uh, if they need someone a little tougher, maybe it's Sharich. And Sharich is a better shooter probably than Ubre, and maybe even than Bridges uh, as well. Um, you know, I, I worry about him and Aiton defensively, to be sure, but I'm not sure that uh, you know putting Kelly Ubre in that spot is necessarily going to help much either. Um, we haven't mentioned Frank Kaminsky at all. Yeah. Uh, where do you see him fitting? Is he going to play power forward? Is he going to be the backup center? I think he's um, going to be the backup yeah. four. Um, again, I don't know exactly where all these minutes are going to come from, and yeah. uh, we get to Cam Johnson. That's where it's really like, where where is he going to play? Because it feels like Ubre's at least last year played a lot of minutes at the four so you figure that might happen again so between the three and the four um it's there's going to be an odd man out so I feel like that could be Cam Johnson early but I think they signed Kaminsky expecting him to be that backup four and like what he brings as as a floor spacer even if he doesn't bring a whole lot else yeah well and and, I mean the ball's got to go in for him you know like I said he really has not shot it well other than those last couple of months uh, in his Charlotte career Uh, and he's at an age where you wouldn't necessarily expect him to improve that much I, I mean I think if it were me I would probably rather be trying to play Cam Johnson a little bit more play Ubre at the four uh in some of those backup units where you're not going up against like as many power units second units in general have gotten a lot smaller and if the other team does have big guys they're not as skilled where they're really going to hurt you inside so uh, I would say you know Kaminsky maybe when Baines is injured he can play some five uh if you really need like a stretch element uh, but I would I would start with the idea of having him being largely out of the rotation and trying to get minutes more for Johnson and Ubre because also Kaminsky you know is not necessarily a future type of piece um but just fit him in where you can because I, I just have not I'm not buying him as like a solid rotation player um what do you see as the big strengths for this group Now, this is going to sound weird for a team that was at the bottom of the league in three-point shooting last year, but I really think that that's what this offseason was all about. Um, Outside of Rubio, it was just about adding shooters with, obviously, Cam Johnson, perhaps the best shooter in the draft. Ty Jerome's a pretty good shooter. Uh, Kaminsky is a shooter. So I think that... And even Aaron Baines is sort of a shooter. So, uh, yeah, you get- Sharich as well. Oh, yeah. Shar- of course. Yeah. Sharich is, <laughs> should have mentioned him first, probably, and all that. Uh, very much a shooter. So, um, I think they're going to be able to put out lineups where everybody at least is a threat as a three point shooter. And that's not something that they've had in the past. And I think that, um, that's going to end up being one of their bigger strengths, obviously, with, you'd expect Devin Booker, uh, shooting more of what you'd expect from percentage wise after last year, just 32%. Yeah, I think that, I mean, and it's funny because a lot of these things that we're thinking about are relative to where they've been. Yeah. And, you know, I think they are for sure going to take a step forward this year. I mean, the depth, for example, is just so much better, right? I mean, you're not much relying on Josh Jackson and just, you know, complete nobodies at the point guard position. You're, you're just, you don't have these guys out there who are just clearly not NBA players and not only not NBA players, but someone like Jackson, who's just taking a ton of shots and actively hurting the team offensively and also, you know, can't shoot. So he's not getting guarded when he doesn't have 
the ball. He, he was just such a destructive player for them. Getting Moving on from him, I, I think, is definitely addition by subtraction. So I, they do have a lot more depth, but still, you know, they have a lot of pieces here that are kind of question marks. Like Johnson, you know, we, he's, he's 23 and he's a rookie and he can shoot, but generally rookies just don't contribute. And, you know, Tyler Johnson and Rubio are pretty big injury risks. And if Ty Jerome has to step in again, another pretty polished rookie overall, I like him at number 24 to eventually develop into a, a backup point guard but again that's a, that's a question mark and Kaminsky at backup power forward if that's the, the way it is I'm not sure there Bridges again was a rookie last year but you're to say that he's going to be a starting quality a three he's got to improve even more from where he was last year Ubre again is another guy who you know has kind of been on the fringes of starter quality so I think if everyone takes a step forward the depth can be an asset for them but I'm not quite willing to declare that a strength the passing we talked about yeah I think looks looks pretty good uh anything else to pop out to you uh, again that's relative to where it has been before but anything else pop out yeah. to you as I mean, a strength for these guys it's it's tough nate they've been at the bottom of the league offensively and defensively the last two years really so <laughs> um I, I agree with you about the depth and I, I mean i think really just the biggest thing could be how good of a big two are booker and ayton and just the offense that they're able to create for themselves and others you would hope would be the strength but um with ayton in particular it remains to be seen if that'll be the case but i think that if if we're looking at a best case scenario it's it's booker takes that next step ayton takes that next step and you're able to have a a dynamic duo that uh you just can't guard one-on-one and the fulcrum of the two of them would be that strength Something that I would say could be a strength uh, is pick and role play. Now, Aiton is a wonderful finisher. Uh, I know that the coaching staff was really trying to work on with him on his technique as far as when to roll when to set the screen you know, making sure he set the screen low enough that the the defense had to go over the screen uh but between rubio and devin booker i think ayton is such a good finisher if he can just clean up his technique a little bit as a screener uh and i'm sure they're going to work with him hard on that he his raw tools and you know again he was one of the better finishers around the rim as a rookie that we've seen the, the that pick and roll play could be something that they can really hang their hat on yeah there's no question that should be a strength too uh weaknesses what do you see there (laughs) well i mean they've been bottom three defensively three straight years uh so defense as a whole still certainly not going to be a strength and then last year they were last in the entire league in rebounding percentage i don't know how much frank kaminsky is going to help that per se uh aaron baines probably should help that a little bit shards perhaps a little bit but i still expect them to be one of the worst teams uh in rebounding yeah and i mean it's just the defense could be a little bit better they do have at least some competent defenders out there some guys who have some tools but i still am in kind of believe it when i'll see it mode so so i agree with you there and it should be better just because it can't be much worse though nate so (laughs) it should be better yeah good old regression to the mean (laughs) baby. exactly (laughs) um yeah and the rebounding could be a little bit better but yeah because they've always been just so small at the four with tj warren and Ubre, bridges uh, josh jackson i mean those are the guys who are playing most of their minutes at the four which seems like a modern group but those guys are not quite the rebounders that your al farouk aminu type 
combo forwards uh, are necessarily so yeah it'll be interesting to see whether Aiton can take a step forward from a defensive rebounding standpoint as well but your other problem is when you're so bad defensively and you're allowing penetration even if you do force a miss at the rim they're giving up shot types where the defense is scrambled where it's more difficult to rebound as well see i i could see that being an issue i'm concerned about health a little bit yeah with these guys in particular with the departure of aaron nelson now mm-hmm. uh david griffin who worked with him with the suns got him to go to the pelicans the suns had a pretty good health record i'm just generally skeptical of any organizational aspects with this team when they're trying to do something new so i, I don't know who they've gotten to replace him uh but I am a little bit concerned there, especially with guys like Johnson and Rubio uh, as injury risks. Uh, Devin Booker hasn't made it through, you know, I think more than 65 games in quite some time to, to my recollection uh, as well. Yeah. You know, some of those are like hand injuries, which aren't necessarily on the medical staff. Uh, so I, I do, it's other guys, uh, Aiton, I think is going to be fine. Ubre, Shards, like those guys haven't had major injuries, but I, I'm a little concerned they could take a step back there, especially with the training staff turnover. Uh, and, you know, I probably my biggest story at Valley of the Suns was on the training staff years ago and how incredible the job that Aaron Nelson and his staff did. So so this certainly isn't meant as a dig to them, but Booker and Warren were hurt pretty much 20 games a year, if not more, the last three or four years, you know? So, I mean, their their, t- their key guys have been consistently hurt, and I don't know how much of that yeah, was tanking. The, the hamstring with Booker is, yeah, is a concern. Definitely. And the lower back. I mean, he was missing games like you know and it wasn't it seemed like he was always like on the cusp of another injury or would have some soreness in that chain and and so i have to get shut down again that it was an ongoing saga exactly so that's why i mean maybe if maybe a fresh perspective could could help but um i think that's one of the biggest reasons why i was okay with booker missing the feeble world cup i know i, I thought the flack he got for that was kind of ridiculous i would have loved to have seen him out there playing i thought it would have been beneficial but um he's had so many of these injuries that have lingered and that have really ruined seasons that he absolutely needs to come into training camp 100 percent healthy all right now the time we've all been waiting for Let's start with uh, a predicted record for the Phoenix Suns. Uh, obviously, you know, there's going to be some variability around this where you could have luck where good or bad in close games that can send you four or five wins in either direction in the more extreme cases. But just in terms of the quality of this team, their point differential Pythagorean record, where do you expect them to end up this season? Okay, Nate. First, you referenced Kevin Pelton's RPM projections earlier. He does have them at 38 wins, which was a bit surprising to me. Um, and then 538.com has the Suns at 35 wins this year. So I'm going to be optimistic as well and go 35 and 47. I think that the talent's been significantly upgraded. And I think that last year in particular, the Suns were better than a 19-win team. Um, clearly didn't show it, but between the Booker injuries... Um, Josh Jackson, as as you noted, is a big addition by subtraction and just overall much better depth, much better shooting. Uh, I'm going to go 35 and 47. So I still think they're going to be a bottom five defense. And if that's the case, it's you really have a ceiling on where you can get. And I still don't see more than, I mean, if they could get to be an average offense, that would be a tremendous victory for this group given where they've been. And yeah, they have upgraded the shooting, but they still have a, a lot of question marks there. 
and we'll see, you know, again, can Devin, you know, because if, if you're going to get to being an average offense overall, that means with Booker on the floor, you know, you're probably getting pretty close to playing at a top 10 level. I'm not quite sure that Devin Booker is the number one centerpiece can drive that. Maybe he can get there, but he'll have to take another step forward to do that in the ways that we talked about. So, I mean, I still kind of see this group as, you know, 18th to 20th on offense and bottom five defensively. And that kind of a team, you know, I think 35 wins might be a little bit strong for that sort of a group. I I think, uh, and also uh, the, it just seems like things just always go wrong with this team, right? And there's so much of a record of that. I can't say I'm a huge believer in Monty Williams coaching, especially to, to improve the defense. There's just an overall instability in the organization. Maybe Williams will help that. Uh, so I think I'm going to be significantly below you. I'm going to go with 27 wins for this group but i think that's actually uh that would be a major step forward from where they were last year but it's just yeah i realize a lot of those pieces are gone they've brought in some other pieces that that are competent but i still if your defense is that bad it's just really really hard to get into the 30s and wins unless you have an elite offense which i don't think these guys will where where do you see them ranking an offense and defense what do you think of, of that projection that i just had yeah i think that's interesting um I think that they could be a top 10 offense with Booker on. And I would say overall middle of the pack is where I'd expect them to be. Um, I just think there's a lot more firepower on that end and um, losing some of the negative pieces. And it really just the fact that you'll have competence at two positions that you didn't have, um, I think is going to improve them significantly. Defensively, I agree with you. I do think that's still certainly going to be an issue. Certainly still a bottom 10 defense, probably still a bottom five defense. So I'm, I'm right with you there on, on the defensive side. But I think that they do have a little bit more juice offensively um just having booker and ayton there and now having another uh secondary playmaker with rubio and the fact that you won't have such insufficient point guard play on the court for a significant amount of times as was the case the last two years yeah last year with devin booker on the floor negative 6.9 net rating 115 on defense which is it was atrocious 108 on offense which was you know close to league average competence um you know i could see that number with booker on the floor when Ubre was on the floor he had the best net rating of anyone uh but he uh and that was uh basically a negative five net rating so if they could even have like a negative five net rating overall you know that kind of puts them about where i'm projecting them which would be you know in the 27 to 30 win type of range and you know again that would just be such a step forward for teams overall net rating last year was negative nine and even with booker on the floor was negative seven so i'm uh and again i'm just i can't believe that their defense is going to be any good until i see more uh, from aiden i i really uh, yeah that's the key I'm very worried uh, about his ability to, you know, that he could be a defense ruining player. You know, he, he has to get to where he's not that before he can even get to be competent there. So, uh, and I'm not sure that Monty Williams is the guy to get them there in that system. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think 27 seems about right to me, but. You know, I, I do think they have some upside offensively, defensively. Uh, I'm not as sure. So, what do you, if you have 35 wins as your prediction? Where do you see it as a best case scenario for these guys? Sorry, I got a real quick small sample size theater for you, Nate. Oh, here we go. Okay, so with in 76 minutes, I know not very much at all. With Tyler Johnson, Ubre, Booker, 
Bridges and Aiton on the floor, 120 points per 100 possessions. So again, I know, 76 minutes, it doesn't matter at all. But um, that was during the stretch where they were playing well, where they went to Oakland, beat Golden State, uh, beat Milwaukee at home. And having that competent point guard on the floor uh, with those other four players, they were at least able to show flashes last year. I'm not saying they're going to be anywhere near 120, but that's just kind of where I think, why I think they could be a league average offense once you have Tyler Johnson and Rubio on the floor the whole time with with the Booker and maybe Ty Jerome providing some supporting minutes. Yeah, and that that is the way that this prediction could go wrong for me is that I'm focusing on the guys who are still here and saying, hey, here's what they do with these guys, but maybe the focus should be on the guys who aren't here anymore and, and who replace them. And you know, maybe the those players who are still there didn't deserve the blame for what they've been these last couple of years. And you know, it was on these guys who are just like frankly not NBA quality rotation players. So maybe, uh, and you know, I, I am pricing that in. I'm picking them to win you know eight more games than last year whether well, they were 19 last year right right so, uh and and they earn that with their point differential so uh i am pricing that in a little bit i i'm just kind of hedging my bets between hey these are the suns and you know this is what they were last year and uh all right they did make some improvements uh, as well um so what do you see as a best case scenario with these guys uh best case scenario would be close to 500 um it, it does sound quite a bit optimistic but it would involve uh the, you'd have to be a top 10 offense essentially we agree that the defense isn't going to be terribly great you need to have shooters around the floor and the fact that you've got true professionals like ricky rubio tyler johnson playing the minutes that terrible point guards were playing uh fact that josh jackson isn't there anymore Ubre takes a step forward um ayton and bridges take a step forward and they challenge for a playoff spot still probably don't get it but um at least be playing competent basketball the whole season yeah so so give me a number there 41 is that uh i'll go i I gotta get it in my spreadsheet i need a hard number i'll say 40 40 okay um i'll probably be right around where you are for a best case scenario i'll probably go with with 35 because again i i think man i mean it's tough for me to see these guys as a top 10 overall offense and again maybe there's some upside in the defense that i'm just not seeing but i'm uh i'm skeptical there so uh i would say 35 wins you know where you're the number 12 offense and you're the number 24 defense or something like that um it would be about what i expect how about a worst case scenario um this seems dangerous because i'm sure when you asked me this last year i i know i wasn't at 19 so i'll go with 25 wins um more injuries like you said injuries certainly a concern especially with booker since he seems to miss 15 to 20 games every year and the team just doesn't have a rudder without him so ayton doesn't develop still the same defensive issues rubio's shooting struggles are a bigger deal than i expect and 25 wins certainly seems possible based on what we've seen the last few years yeah i'll i'll put it down at 21 again with you know when we do these we're not saying oh your best player is going to miss the whole season but right. when a guy like booker especially with a hamstring that can recur rubio has his own hamstring issues tyler johnson always misses time uh, and did again for significant portions of last season and he's going to be playing hurt a, a fair amount so yeah that's why i'd go with 21 because again there you know especially if an injury hits at the point guard position we've seen what that can do to this group so yeah that's that's where i go with 21 
one for a worst case scenario um all right uh i think that's that's all we got here I mean, anything anything else that sticks out about this group or just your overall feeling uh on the season before we go here yeah i mean the big thing to me is booker's reputation nationally and obviously it's somewhat of a hot button issue on twitter i mean the the double teaming in a pickup game thing was the most ridiculous argument i've seen in a long time but, yeah, thankfully I was on vacation yeah. when that happened, so I, I w- w- was uh, spared that one. That's a good thing, but I just think that the general public that's not watching the Suns every day doesn't see how good this guy is, um, what an incredible shot maker he is, um, how his creation skills have improved significantly since he came into the league, and I think he's just, uh, and obviously you win 19 games right around 20 games every year, you're not going to be seen as too big of a star but i think that he's better than his national reputation and i think this might be the year that people start to see that a little bit more yeah it's really uh, he's a, a fascinating case for evaluating basketball players uh, and guys who put up stats or the are the best players on bad teams or some of the yeah. most difficult to evaluate because there's a couple of ways you can look at it. number one is hey shouldn't you be driving this bad team uh, higher another way to look at it would be like well hey if you actually were on a good team would you be able to change your game and contribute uh, more efficiently on that kind of team and do more role player stuff when you're trying to evaluate how good a player is which we do all the time when we rank shooting guards and we rank the best uh, young prospects uh so yeah i'm really interested to watch his development this year his development last year was very encouraging but yeah hitting more threes and really on the defensive end just yep. not being a complete disaster uh, are the two things that he really has to get better at this and he continuing to improve as a passer as well I mean, he took big steps forward he had the ball in his hands all the time put up some raw assist numbers but you know he still does miss passes sure. either because his passes are inaccurate or he just you know, doesn't see guys um and also just because his game overall is not he's not going to just like attack the rim so hard that like help is gonna be forced he still works in the mid-range he did a good job though of reducing his percentage of mid-range shots his post-ups also is something he's really worked on uh, as well uh one thing that a uh an analytics guy told me is that he uh does a really good job they measure the distance that guys uh travel from the start of their post up to where they release the shot basically like how far are you able to back a guy down to get into a good position before you release the shot and he had one of the best marks at that position Aiton was actually could, could have improved there by the way yeah um but that that's kind of interesting so his post game is underrated uh as well uh, could be another focal point especially with the shooting that they hope to have around him this year but yeah i'll certainly uh be monitoring him very closely uh i might even watch a sun's game <laughs> that would, that would just, be exciting just, <laughs> Just, just kidding. Sons, sons, uh, I think there's only one on national TV if you don't count NBA TV. So the the national <laughs> fans won't have too many chances. So I get that, and I get that when you look at those win totals, like you say, um, that's just going to be what your perception is. But I think he's got another another level that um, I would hope this would be the season. It, it feels like he has more of a roster around him that could accentuate his strengths, certainly more so than the last few years. Yeah, and it really, uh, the biggest thing I'm going to be watching this year is Booker and Aiton. If those guys develop into two all-star level of players, then this franchise is on its way. If they don't, then they're stuck in the mud. I mean, as much as we debate some of these ancillary moves, it really does all come down to those two guys. Yep, that's exactly right. And a lot of debating was done on some of the Suns' ancillary moves, and that's exactly how I feel. It's it's all on them now, and I think that's kind of what this offseason set up that um with with adding a Baines adding a Rubio uh, they now have the supporting cast 
not to, you know, not to be a playoff contender per se, but to where they should be able to sh- show themselves out a little bit more. And I'd say to a lesser extent, uh, Bridges too. Um, it's now on those three to see if the Suns are going to eventually become one of those rising young teams or whether they're going to have to start over again. All right. Well, thanks again for doing this. Um, and are you still working on the jump? Is that yes, I that's am. what you're doing the last yeah. time we talked? Yeah. So, so, uh, watch the jump. You, you're not, uh, on air talent, although clearly as this podcast shows, you probably should be, but, uh, it, you're, uh, doing everything behind the scenes uh, for them. And obviously the jump is, uh, essential watching for, for anyone. Uh, anything else you, you wanted to talk about before we go here as far as like promotions or, or anything like that? I think that's about it. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, we'll be back next week with uh, more team previews till then. Thanks again to our guests for joining us. And thanks again, of course, to Blinkist for sponsoring today's show. The Blinkist app takes the key takeaways from thousands of best-selling nonfiction books, condense them down in just 15 minutes for you to read or listen to. You can basically get the information from three books on a 45-minute commute. That's pretty ridiculous. 10 million people are using Blinkist right now. It is a massive and growing library, self-help to business, health, history, all the big nonfiction books that you're going to want to read are on there. Right now, you can get 25% off your first year at Blinkist.com slash Catspace and get your first seven days free as well. Don't forget that slash Catspace URL to let them know that you came from us. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.